Tuesday Power Panel is going to be here. Jan Morgan. Well, she's a lady. We can let her be late. That's the way. That's the way. Typically, she is going. Yes, yeah, she'll be fashionably late, and she's going to be here. She is setting. There's supposed to be a sheriff, I believe, uh, joining us, or police chief, going to talk about uh, um, sexual predators and human trafficking and things of that nature. Uh, second hour, we'll have a constitutional lawyer on with this, an attorney. Uh, Tim Snowball is his name, and he'll join us. I got plenty of questions for him about the impeachment that's going on, especially they got two articles. That's all they got right now. They haven't been voted on, but they're there, and they're going to be voting on them probably this week. But guess what's not even mentioned on either of the articles of impeachment? Bribery. That's right, bribery. Bribery is not there. That's a that's a great question about with all of the the, the noise they've made about it. Why we not we're not seeing any article about it? One is obstruction. Of course, they've been saying about that since Trump before he was ever president. Obstruction. He's obstructing Congress. I mean, how Congress. Do you, how do you do that? This sort of isn't that almost like a contempt charge? I mean, doesn't the governor do the president have the right to be contemptible toward Congress if he wants to? Obstruction is not doing everything that we want you to do. That's going to be interesting. And, and what, what's amazing is as we've seen through some of the investigation of some some of Donald Trump's friends. They just don't look at the issues they're bringing up. They look at your taxes, your finances. They go through everything in your whole life. What I can't believe is they didn't come up with something like tax evasion or embezzlement or anything like that because you know they checked out everything they could check out between kindergarten till now. <laughs> you know, they anything. There's... There is no limit to what they could bring charges on, and there's no limit well, uh, to their investigation. You know, part of it might be that if they dig too deep, they, somebody also might find something on well, them. Well, that too. might be and true, so, I guess. Are you uh, saying if somebody finds, if you find the skeletons in somebody else's closet, then uh, if they, you they call might, attention, yeah, they might come yeah, and look yeah, at your es- closet? You know, especially if it's if it's something like maybe with the um, Epstein t- sort of thing. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. You know, I you know, it, 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 when, when you've got everybody in the room has been to this little sex city then it may be that they're all careful with each other yeah yeah there's probably no go zones as are understood there might be, so i'm not saying that trump's involved in that but the, just the, the the thing is that some of these people may not actually be looking very hard because of their own skeletons and that might be that might be true but i guarantee you they looked very hard on donald trump before they brought these two i bet you know you know there's there's nothing off limits well, to their investigation. Yeah, and we know that they they were they tried some of this stuff already. They tried the one of the rape scandal sort of things and taxi and um, not releasing his taxes. Yeah, and it's nothing. The American people have not gotten excited about any of that stuff. Nah. I mean, I think you can probably say that even President Trump, as they used to say about President Reagan. 
they used to call him the Teflon president because hmm. nothing would stick to him. Clinton was the same Tom way. Clinton was the best. You know, he was a Teflon president as well. And I tell you what it all comes down to. It's the economy. I mean, in Clinton's defense, he understood that. I mean, he's the one who said it's the economy, stupid. And uh, the economy is going well. And he was uh, impeached. He was found not guilty, mm-hmm. and he was reelected. Well, and, and that is unfortunate about Americans. <laughs> I think they can be distracted by, oh, if the government is making me wealthy, oh, I don't care if they're corrupt. Truth and justice <laughs> is second place. I think you're right. I think you're right. Truth the, and justice. The, liberty and justice takes a back seat, takes a back seat to um, wealth. Paying the bills. Yeah, paying the bills. I mean, we, we, would, we would rather pay the bills comfortably than actually pursue justice. Well, I think the ones of us who have lived through those times when the economy really stank it up, (laughs) you know, uh, we remember. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we like it when the economy is good, to be honest, when you can get a job. Right. I understand that. And and just like my my grandparents, I guess it's probably your parents lived through the Depression. And so some of the stuff that, that, that they saw really, really changed their point of view on things. There's no doubt. Hey, I tell you what, I was raised, you know, up in North Arkansas, and the saying up there that they teach you in school, and uh, I had a teacher that teach you, you know, you do the right thing as far as justice and truth is concerned, and then you suffer the consequences for it. Hmm. And uh, No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, no good <laughs> deed goes unpunished. But when it comes to politicians or maybe what you're talking about, voters, you know, uh, I, I still th- I still think that matters because uh, if you don't have a clear conscience and and you don't do things a certain way, then then I don't think you can be a good representative and of I, the people. I think part of the problem is that it's they may even do it with a clear conscience. They just don't know right from wrong. Hmm. I mean, coming. Hey, by the way, coming up, Jan Morgan just texted me. Going to be about forty five minutes late. I had to go vote. Did they have one of those secret elections going I on that must, she just barely found out been. about? There must be in a secret election going on in Garland County or otherwise, something otherwise where she's the, ofici- at. the official name for those is a special election. Yeah, special. Oh, yeah, people, they love special elections in the state of Arkansas. You yeah. know that. They, we, get, we need to call they pass them. 75% of the time. We need to call them secret elections. Uh, yeah, they right? need to call them. You know, it, it wasn't terribly long ago. I think we had been talking about it on the radio and it might have been a day after we'd been yeah, talking about it. Yeah, that happened to you. Yeah. And I got a call from a neighbor, I think, and they said, hey, there's a there's a, secret, a special election going on. And I was, I was angry. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty well, I'm pretty well connected know, and know what's going on in a lot, a lot of cases about things. And there was one going on right under my nose. Well, and it was, was a, that was a school tax, wasn't it? Something like that. I can't remember what it was. It was a, it was a, in I think Greenbrier. It, it was in Greenbrier. It was a, it was a, a it was an election to to build some new gymnasium or something like that, and just waste more money. And but don't worry, those special elections they always uh, sunset the tax, something like that. And then after they spend the money real wisely, then 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 they won't they won't need it anymore. Right, right. And and and, and the other thing is that so in a normal election, you've got a lot of different polling locations that are generally they're somewhat closer to where you live. But like in this particular special election that I'm thinking about, 
it was kind of tucked away in a hide, in a hidden spot almost there in the city of Greenbrier. And so I have to drive the wrong direction. This was during the legislative session. And so normally I've been going, driving down to the session. I have to go drive the other direction to go to the Greenbrier to go vote and then go back. And so that's like maybe almost 10 miles out of my way. <laughs> Because it's not at a normal polling location. And we might as well get a shout-out to our senator from Batesville, Arkansas, and thank him that we still have special elections. Yes, because, church. Because, uh, you know, uh, we had the votes to kill special elections in the state of Arkansas, so uh, 5% of the people couldn't weigh the tax on 95% of the people. But because of Senator Sturge from Batesville, Arkansas, he got a phone call and went for a walk And uh, after saying that he would vote for it. So after he went for a walk, then uh, didn't pass. And that, and that, and, and right not long after that, he was a, he managed to, to to upgrade his position from state representative to senator. Hey, you got to reward you got to reward playing as a team player. Mm-hmm. If you're a team player, then uh, we want you on the team. Well, and just think of, think how much money that was worth to these school administrators. I mean, it could have been worth mayors, millions, mayors, or perhaps even super, billions of dollars, yeah. maybe judges, yeah, mayors, superintendents. Judge, superintendents. Everybody wins but the taxpayers yeah. on, on special elections because it costs taxpayers usually thirty to $50,000, depending on the size of the area, just to have a special election. But if you can spend thirty to $50,000... Turn out your base and pass it. Turn out your base and pass it, then you get millions of dollars return on your investment. That's right. That's right. That's the way it works in Arkansas. It, and uh, hopefully uh, in 2021... We can, or 2020, we can kill that. Hey, we'll kill that when we get a different governor. It's when we'll yeah. kill it because the governor does not want it killed right now. I, I can imagine that probably is the truth. There, the other people now that are kind of lining up for the uh, the situation as far as the next governor do want it dead. That's great. They want it gone. They want it gone. There was a lot of good Republican uh, elected officials that did everything they could to get rid of it. I mean, Alan Kerr fought that tooth and nail uh, for uh, six years. I mean, he tried for six years. And you know who kept bottling it up in the Senate? BB at the time? Oh, no. No, it was a Republican. Who was it? It was a Republican. He was a uh, cattle farmer. Somebody who we all loved. And he was fighting the special elections? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay. He fought it. He stopped mm. it twice. Oh, man. Because of his uh, connection. Superintendent. Oh, man. You know, so, why, is it, can, can, why can't we go ahead and make it illegal for superintendents to even get, in, get involved in politics? Hey, they're in the politics? biggest lobbyists. I, mean, I tell you what, when you get superintendents in the, in the teachers' union, in the, in the halls, teachers' brother. union, you get them to show up in a room and you're going up against the teachers' union and the superintendents and they bring all the school teachers. You might as well why get ready to being, pay the tax. Why aren't they being arrested? And I, I suspect they're they're down there on public time, oh, using public it. vehicles. I suspect. Why aren't they being arrested for that sort of thing? Why is that? How is that not stealing from the taxpayers? I don't know, but I've sure testified it, testified against them, and it's a lost cause. It's 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 frustrating because you you and I go down there, and we spend our own time and money, and then we have to compete with lobbyists that are funded by our own tax dollars. And 
too many times, like the case that I'm thinking of whenever we went to speak on the half of a test that they were given in the state of Arkansas. They were given a test that was, I think, unethical test that wasn't a true reflection on how st- smart our students were. And uh, it was about the money. And we got federal money for using this test, and it, and it helped us to get federal money. And uh, too many times, they're down there lobbying for money, and it's not about the kids. If they're down there lobbying what they think's best for the kids, and we disagree with each other, then uh, I I respect people for that. But when you're down there lobbying, and it's obvious that it's about a tax or it's about doing something so you can get more federal money, then uh, I'm sorry, it's, I've got a problem with that. It, it's frustrating that the state of Arkansas is willing to just sell us out because the federal government bribes them to do it. The federal government runs this state because uh, we, that's we, where the majority of our money comes to run this we, state. And if you say anything like, hey, you know, we're going to put God back in our schools and we're going to spend an equal amount of time on creation as evolution, which uh, that issue is going to be coming up, and just, I'm going to see what, to it. What needs to happen on that issue then, is that uh, the, the government should not be teaching the fairy tale of evolution. I mean, right, it's not even good enough to qualify as a theory. I mean, it's, that's it's a exactly fairy tale. right. But uh, creation should get equal time as evolution. If they will not give equal time in the state of Arkansas for both, then uh, we have a corrupt system, and the federal government owns our education system. And, and the 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 frustrating fact is that so we've got a budget of about thirty billion dollars here in the state of Arkansas, and the federal government pays about twenty five of that. That's nuts. Yeah. And so we, we can't get the state of Arkansas, the, the legislators or the governor, to say, you know what, federal government, you need to back off and stop violating our, uh, the, the rights of our citizens. Why would they do that? Because the, when the federal government is funding a lot of their programs. Well, the thing about it is when they look at that $25 billion, they think about the jobs. That it, the jobs. So if we have and all that prosperity oh, right, that government can grow exactly off of. Exactly so that's, right. That's, that's so. one of the things is that, you know, there's there's ways for people to make a decent, good living that doesn't involve government. It doesn't enrich government. We're living on a false economy that is subsidized by the get taxpayers. And I think the government likes to subsidize industries that enrich itself. All yeah. Right. Got to take a break, guys. It's 20 after 2. When we come back, I'll tell you the two things that you're impeaching the president on. They haven't voted on them yet, but they're going to do that soon. The the Judiciary Committee will. And then it will go to the full House of Representatives. A break. we got more coming your way. Dave Ellswick, show Jan Morgan will be here in about another 20 minutes. And we'll uh, talk with her as well. We got more golf coming your or way. not to golf. We have the answer with Little Rock Weather on 101.1 FM. The answer. You belong in an environment that challenges you to reach your fullest academic potential. An environment that allows you to learn more about God and strengthen your faith as you enter the world. And an environment where you can have fun with peers who will become your best friends. You belong at Harding University. Choose from 100 majors to find your calling and achieve your academic and career goals. World-class faculty, teacher. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. 
Okay, so here are the two uh, articles of impeachment. One says that the president is, they're saying, is guilty of abuse of power. And the second, obstruction of Congress. The one that's missing that they seem to be pushing really, really hard was bribery. It's not there. They haven't put it forth. Now, the word is that the Judiciary Committee will vote on this sometime this week. Then it has to go in front of the full House. And what is it, uh, about 213, is it a sim- 14? Is it a simple majority that's It's required? a majority, yeah. Because hmm. they know they're not going to get any uh, votes from the Republicans. So it's not more. So it's going to pass the House. But well, it should. However, yeah. I, I'm like uh, Vice President Pence about this as well. You never know until the vote is cast. Yeah, because you may get some Democrats that jump ship because they're afraid of getting in, because they're out. in purple districts right now. You got them in Michigan. You've got them seriously up there in the Great Lakes states, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, those states. Wisconsin is not very and purple. Some even. it's, it's and kind s- of a and some out in well. Wisconsin is purple. Oh, wait, parts of it. When you get outside of Madison and Milwaukee, it gets pretty red. <laughs> it gets red. It's kind of like point. Texas. And then Texas Around is going to be the same way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you walk, you go into to, to Austin, and I swear they all have Che shirts on. It just amazes me. Uh, yeah. and that's, these big cities end up being just kind of cesspools for stupid ideology. That's why we have the electoral college. Well, and yeah, that's, that's, that's exa- exactly, exactly why, why it's what, there. Because would they be, would be running everything you know, if it, it wasn't. It would be nice if states had something similar to the Electoral College so that these big cities couldn't run, run roughshod over those of us who live out in the country. Yeah, like New York City. You yeah. know, New York is a pretty uh, conservative state. If the, you look except at for it, those few square you, miles. You know, uh, as far yeah, as when you got six million acres. people living in, you know, or Manhattan. more yeah. in a, in a ma- major is, city. Isn't the Metroplex of New York about 25 million it's people? It's a lot of so. people. I forget how many it's, it is. It's like in Chicago, it's six million, and I mean that is a twelve mile long by three mile wide area. You, you know it would. So and it, it may be the best. over the rest of the state. No doubt, in many it, respects. Well, no doubt. it controls what goes on in Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know they can't even hand out Christmas cards in the state of New York, and they can't have Christmas trees in the schools or anything mm-hmm. like that. So. You know, out in the country, you several. mean they can't just name it a holiday tree and, and have one? Yeah, yeah, just rename Think it. Think about yeah, it. The government loves to rename everything. Yeah, the government loves to do rename everything. Maybe they could if they called it a Muslim tree. Yeah, who, who knows? But you know, it might. It may be, Dave. It may be best for uh, Republicans if, if if they all just go ahead and vote for it. This would be a real good opportunity to take the house back. Oh, well, I think if they all vote, the uh, if they all vote for it, so. You know, sometimes the best strategy is just let give them the rope and let them hang themselves. Well, they are doing a very good job of that. Well, sometimes, yeah. you know, if you really want to expose government corruption, say, "Hey, bring on the prosecution. Let, let's 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 put you on the stand and see what see what you can, hey, what you can bring up, and we're, we're going to turn around and we're going to make this prosecution into a prosecution of you." Well, that's exactly what Donald Trump's done. Like I said before, he's taken all of his chips and. Pl- 
pushed them to the center of the table and say, "All right, show me what you show me what you got in your hand." And the reason he did that because he was in on that phone call. And he knows they don't have anything in their hand worth a peachy. Okay, so I got about a minute and a half here. President Donald Trump. This is from Newsweek, not a bastion of conservative exactly. thought. All right. Uh, and uh, says that Trump is beating all Democratic primary frontrunners in three key battleground states despite the ongoing impeachment inquiry. The latest survey by Republican public affairs firm Firehouse Strategies and Optimist puts the commander-in-chief ahead of his would-be Democratic challengers by significant margins with likely voters in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And I'll give you the exact numbers when we come back. Uh, from the news, which is coming up here in just about a minute. And I don't want to get into that story. I want to say something about it because we've got a lot to talk about in, in this story. The sad thing about the Democrats is they've let the radical side of their party crucify anybody that was a decent uh, candidate. If you're a moderate in the Democratic Party, don't get your head up too high. They're going to play whack-a-mole with you. I'm just telling you. The thing is, some of these younger millennials, they're they're learning to be principled, quote-unquote, in their ideology about socialism and whatever else. And so Easy to do when you're young and not earning a, a paycheck. Well, well and, yet. I, and I think that <laughs> I think over the, the last hundred years or so, we haven't really been operating off of socialism as much as we've operated off of kind of more of a Keynesian ideology. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, Republicans and Democrats work together on that. It depends on if you're talking about health care or not. Well, and that's, that's, that's kind of part of the the ideology, and it's, and it's consistent. It's okay, let's talk Talk about this when we mm-hmm. come back, and they've wanted, you know, public health care in America. Except. All right, let's continue. I, I told you there's some bad news for Democrats uh, dealing in the battleground states. Battleground states, the three states that if you talk to any, uh, you know, consultant dealing with the election, they'll mention Wisconsin, they'll mention Michigan, and they'll mention Pennsylvania. Well, they were... They were the blue wall that the Democrats had, and it fell last year. So the big deal that needed to happen this year is that the Democrats had to come back and take those states back if they were hoping to take the election back and take the White House back. Well, here is what the latest polling numbers are showing. These are just a couple of days old, by the, by the way. Uh, when you look at Michigan... Joe Biden trails the president by five points. And now this is while all this negative stuff has been going on. Drumbeat has been going on all the time, you know, because of the impeachment that's going on. Warren and Sanders uh, in uh, Michigan. Warren is back by nine points. Sanders is back by six points. Former Vice President Biden's moderate contenders, Buttigieg, and the late entrants, Michael Bloomberg, trailed Trump by 11 points. 
How much in Pennsylvania? Well, we're getting into that. In Pennsylvania, they say, well, in Pennsylvania, it's less dire, all right? Remember that uh, Trump won it by 1% over Clinton Mm -hmm. back in 2016, 48 to 47. Buttigieg and Bloomberg are... Well, Buttigieg is six points behind Trump. Bloomberg is four points behind Trump. While Biden trails by five points, Sanders trails Trump by ten, and Warren registers seven points. So, so Pennsylvania Trump. is kind of up in the stomping ground of both Donald Trump and Bloomberg. Yeah. So they're both kind of almost, almost um, residents of that right region. Now. Right now. All right. Uh, Wisconsin, which is amazing to me, to be honest. I mean, I, this is really amazing to me. Let me just run through this. Biden trails by nine points, and he's the closest one. Oh, wow. Behind Trump. Overall, Trump performing well in the crucial 2020 states. Uh, while the numbers will fluctuate as the presidential election continues, Trump is well situated to win back these contests. Trump uh, has a six percentage point lead over Democratic challengers on average across all three states. That's big. Wow. That's not small. That's big. Six percent's big. So I, I guess Florida's not even in a not even a contested state anymore in that regard. Previous editions of the firm's quarterly polling in the three battleground states has shown Biden leading over Trump by as much as. 12 percentage points really in March. So you tell me how good <laughs> this impeachment thing is playing for the Democrats. Wow. Yeah, they're going to bring out the voters. They're, they're getting the voters <laughs> out for the Republicans. Yeah. It's going to it's going to be a um, bring out the vote campaign. Well, yeah, you bet. Wow. Let me give you one other That's piece of funny. information here. Uh, when you look at the the these states. Here's how it breaks in each of the battleground states. They find that a majority of likely 2020 voters do not support the impeachment and removal of President Trump from office. Impeachment and removal is opposed by 51% of voters in Michigan, 53% of voters in Pennsylvania, and in Wisconsin, 59% of voters. Wow. Trump's win in Pennsylvania in 2016 shattered the Democrats' blue wall. Trump narrowly won Michigan's 16 electoral votes and devastated Democrats when Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes put the president over the 270 mark to win the election. I'll never forget, we were sitting right here in these seats in Pennsylvania, forget, I kept telling and Mark Raymer was sitting in here, and uh, he I'll was, never forget. <laughs> he's got a road to win, he's got a road to win. Yeah, you and I, that I guess that earlier that day, had, had predicted his, him, that Trump would win. And, I've uh, been predicting Trump. Buddy was here. Buddy was here too. Yeah, so it yeah, was us was and Buddy and, and, and Mark yeah. Rainer. Yeah. Boy, they were. When Pennsylvania came out, everybody was jumping up and down. Yeah, it was a. You want to hear a breaking story? I got a breaking. This sports story now. Okay. You ready? I got it's it's loading up. I got to load it. Auburn has hired former Arkansas head coach Chad Morris. To be its offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Gus, what are you thinking? Did you watch? <laughs> did you watch the games that Arkansas played this year and the plays that were being called? 
<laughs> not good. <laughs> wow. Anyway, Morris, whose friendship with head coach Gus Malzahn traces back some two decades, replaces Killy, uh, Kenny Dillingham, who left for the same position at Florida State. Malzahn said he's super excited to have Morris join the staff at Auburn. That'll burn out pretty fast, I'm just telling you. Well, as long as he does what he's told, I guess he'll have somebody <laughs> over him. But uh, everybody always well, discredits yeah. Arkansas. Malzahn will be over him. I don't know what to expect of this new guy, but they say that he's going to be good. We'll see. Time will tell. It won't take long. It will not take long when next season gets here to see how it's turning out. Just to be I, honest with you. When they get on the field, the truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. you can't hide it at that point. That's exactly But now right. it's going to take this new coach a year to get out there and, and get those big offensive linemen again that he had with Bielema. Yeah, and re- recruiting. But, yeah. you know, one thing that you say about Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant could beat you with his team, then he could take your team and, and beat, beat you, you with, with your, your team. team. <laughs> that's the truth. Well. You find out who's some good. Be, that's people, exactly some people right. are that good. That's exactly right. Yeah. He'd have a fast team one year and, be, and win the championship yeah. with a fast team, and next year he'd come back with a slow team. Yeah, you got to so keep them guessing. Controlling you at the line of scrimmage. Get a lumberjack yeah. with a dull axe, he'll beat you. And with a sharp axe, he'll beat you, too. Hey, he yeah. might kill you a little quicker with the sharp axe <laughs> you know yeah. as far as that's concerned but the bottom line is it's it's going to be interesting but this whole thing about the president this is playing out exactly how we all have talked about this that impeachment was going to be not a good thing for the democratic party oh no and now it's starting to really it's starting to appear now you were talking about that coach and getting a losing coach i'm sorry uh, when you're betting on something or you're making a decision, usually you look at history and base, try to predict the future on what's happened in the past. That's mm-hmm. what you do in business. You have business statistics that mm-hmm. says, when we made this decision, this was the result. When we made this decision, this was the result. Right. So you're always analyzing information and try to make the best decisions that you can make. If you look at impeachment proceedings, it hasn't worked out for the Republicans <laughs> or the Democrats either way as far as no. wi- winning the popular the Republicans vote. Republicans had hurt them after they impeached Clinton, and it's going to hurt Democrats now with their impeachment It all comes back to vinegar and honey. <laughs> Which one are you going to attract well, the most Well, here's the thing. With? Both of them had something in common. The economy, because of the dot-com at that time, was perking along just fine for Clinton. People didn't want to get him out of there. They were making money. Now you got Trump. Well, the economy is doing very well under Trump because he dropped uh, all of the regulations and different things that he's done, and the economy is, has caught fire. And now they're trying to tell the people, we need to get rid of this guy so that we can have the economy that Obama had. They don't want that again. <laughs> how, do you, how do you think people get elected? Is it because they're, they're just great candidates, or, be, or is it because a lot of people funnel a bunch of money to them? Yeah, we were looking at a, a poll yesterday. Uh, that was really important to what the people were saying in it. They asked independents, and they're the ones that you got to convince. And uh, the independents all said they weren't even paying attention to the impeachment things. They were thinking about bread and butter economic issues. And if they're thinking about that, they're thinking, you know, this Donald Trump guy is pretty good. 
That's exactly you know, most, right. Most people don't have the time and energy to spend the spend on on politics like like those of us here at this table do. We 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 spend yeah, an awful lot of time. I love that stuff, and, and I wish the, I would stop being able to do and it. And that would, uh, but the fact is that most people don't really spend much time on politics, and so they just they look at the guy with the good hair and and oh, I'm getting richer. My, 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 that's what and, yeah, that's what I they mean, look at. They look at their paycheck, and they go, you know what? I'm making more money. Guess what? We went on a vacation this year. I bought new furniture for my house or whatever it might be. And so so what is the... Let's keep going with this guy. He's going in the right direction. And so they don't really care about issues. Whether the guy's a, a moral reprobate or, 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 or maybe he's got principles. They're, the people are doing well, so they don't really care. They vote. Yeah. They vote. And, and so you've you got a, a president in Bill Clinton that essentially was had um, an intern in the White House giving him sexual favors, and nobody cared. He would have been reelected if, if it hadn't have been for term limits, more than likely, I think. <laughs> been I reelected mean, for a third term. If maybe a fourth. Given, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the opportunity. Yep. You, you know, the Republicans have an advantage when it comes to that. If you read the two platforms, I do think that the the moral majority of America, if you sit down and read the Democratic platform and sit down and read the Republican platform, I don't see how anybody with with a Christian background, you know, we might get a million callers call in, but I've read both of them, and, and as a Christian with a clear conscience, I can't vote for a Democrat and it's a because thing, but, of the platform. But how many people would actually are willing to even put that much energy into even reading the blooming things? It, it's well, we need to, people. People need to sit down and read them. But then again, the Republicans, just because you have the platform that says that you're for freedom and smaller mm-hmm. government, and you believe that life begins at conception, and maybe, the Second maybe, Amendment is maybe for, four or five percent of them actually practice that. Or, that's exactly right. You can't take you can't take uh, your people's vote for granted just because of those issues. Okay. No. The, that the, the, you need you need to live the rest of it. Mm-hmm. They think they got us with 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 uh, with life and with the Second Amendment, but they need to they need to watch out. You, we you know we believe in small government government too. And whenever you get too much taxes, uh, you keep passing these taxes and keep saying that we don't have a spending problem. You know we have a revenue problem. And living your political career with that type of attitude, then uh, that, guys, this economy and, and Everything is going to run but out that's sooner or later. The, that's the one of the, what's one of the ways that politicians get reelected is they you, you funnel money and projects to donors, campaign that's donors, right. and, and so win it, win it at the yeah right. win it at the pack fund right. And so the, so you know when you've got um, a, a multi billion dollar industry or several multi billion dollar industries in the state, and you continue to funnel money toward those industries, such as the, the medical industry or the or the um, construction industry for roads and, and, and government buildings and such, if you can bring more government money in for more projects and and more medical care, sub- government subsidized medical care, then you can keep um, you can keep um, the campaign donations flowing. It's our job to prove them wrong. But so far, you know, you're ninety percent right with that assessment. I think right now, and it's it's everybody else's right job. Right now, 
<laughs> right now. But the pendulum swings both ways is what I'm trying to say in life. And sometimes when the pendulum swing in big government and more taxes direction, sometimes you just have well, to abide your time and wait till it starts heading back the other direction. And, and I hope that, like Dave said, that coming up, the next leader of of the of the state of Arkansas will be, uh, you know, less taxes and smaller government minded. We're going to see. I'm, they're both going to run on it, and I'm, I'm including Sarah Huckabee Sanders yeah. in that, along with uh, Tim Griffin. I think those going to be the two people that run for uh, the governor. Smaller government, you know, whatnot. and will and are they small government people? Yeah. You know what? You can vote for them thinking that they are and not find out until they get elected right. that maybe they aren't. Well, well, Tim Griffin gave a speech at the state Republican committee's uh, meeting uh, last weekend. Yeah, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Can you hold it? Yeah. Okay. Hold, hold, hold your thoughts, and we'll, we'll come back and talk about it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we are back. We're sitting here talking to Jan Morgan, who has just walked into the studio. It's good to see her here. Good to see you all, too. We'll have to talk about, uh, we were just saying that there are two uh, articles of impeachment are abuse of power, Mm -hmm. obstruction of justice, and I don't know, as you were driving here, if you listened to us talking about the battleground states. And Wisconsin's blowing my mind about how how hard they're going for the president. It's pretty amazing. It really is. Do you realize that all of the Democrat contenders, mm-hmm. all right, are double digits behind the president except for Biden, and he's nine points. So he's pretty close to double digits. That's in Wisconsin. Pretty amazing. You know, but but once again, I want to be consistent about polls, okay, because I don't don't believe them when they're against the president, and I don't believe them when they're for the president. I don't take anything for granted. Everybody needs to show up on election day and vote. <laughs> so, the, the, which the is the poll that counts. Polls is. only polls only make sense if people turn out to vote, okay? Yes. Exactly. I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm saying that because of what the the Democrats have done with this whole impeachment thing, they are a, they're they're gonna be a self fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. okay. of losing. Okay. The, the election. They're the blue wall is gonna crumble even bigger this time. Well, speaking of voting, voter turnout is not so great today. Yeah, what's going on in Garland County? Well, you know, we have District 22 was the seat that Mickey Gates, uh, State Representative Mickey Gates. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're having a special election, and that includes the uh, Garland and Saline counties are involved in that uh, representative district. So, you know, we're having the special election to get someone to fill Representative Mickey Gates' seat until... The regular election, which is going to be in what, March, away. yeah. Oh, well, well. The primary in March. Yes, the primaries in March. So, yeah, um, 
It's, so who, was, it's kind who, of a, who was running in that race? Well, do, you must not watch my Facebook page. I just did a full-length interview with the two guys who really? were in this election. Yes, they actually agreed to, to meet with me at this my morning? studio. No, mm-hmm. it's been running on my Facebook page now Sorry. for two or three days. But the, <laughs> but the guys met in the studio with me, and we did a – it wasn't a debate, so to speak, but we did talk – you know, question I did interview answer, them, sort of question thing. answer. Uh, of course, you're looking at Jack Wells is one of the candidates, and um, Richard McGrew is the other. Both of them are – long-time Hot Springs residents. They pretty much agree on all of the issues, or at least they say they stand for the Republican Party platform, the Second Amendment, pro-life, all those things that are critical to the Republican Party. However, the one issue they disagreed on was on the uh, school choice. While they both said they supported school choice, one of them said he really didn't like the voucher idea. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, and I said, well, then you're not for school choice. (laughs) That's right. Because if you, you know, as as a parent, if I am paying property, if I'm a majority, my taxes are going to pay for a school district that my child is not in, and I'm having to pay that plus pay a private school fee, then that's not really giving me a choice. It's making me pay and support a failing district. But in, in all fairness, he is on a school board and has been for years, yeah. so his position, he's a very you know pro-public school kind of guy. Um, so anyway, Sounds like it's a good be politician. Yeah, yeah, it was well. So it's going to be an interesting a very race. Good political answer. It's going to be an interesting race. I really race. agree with both sides, but you know, right? <laughs> you know, I actually said that in yeah, the yeah. in the interview with the two guys. Yeah, I try said, not to make anybody mad. Don't make a stand. He'll go a long way. All right. So right. How, how were they on uh, Second Amendment? Well, they both said they were pro Second Amendment, oh, yeah. and okay. I reminded okay. them that you know most all Republicans do say I'm for the did Second you Amendment. Scratching below the sur- yeah, surface, I did scratch below the surface. I cornered them on red flag laws. Uh-huh. Both said they felt they were unconstitutional and would not support any form of red flag laws. And of course, all this is on tape now. <laughs> and of yeah. course, these one of these guys will be my state representative, and I let them know. I'm going to be all over you, and you're going to have to toe the line. And now that we have it on tape, both of you saying where you stand, then we're going to expect you to follow through with this. And we're going to tell you, not only am I going to expose you, but if you don't if you don't toe the line, we're going to run against you in okay, the next so election. Okay, so McGrew and McGrew well. and Wells. And Wells. Yes. Both we, of them very nice guys. Will you ask them about Obamacare? Yeah. Uh, yes, Med- we did. Medicaid we did, expansion? and both said they were against socialized medicine. And Medicaid in any expansion? Form. Yes, against it. All right. Against it. Well, but you know, you have to realize they are John, filling John. the shoes of Mickey Gates, and Mickey has a very good oh, conservative yeah. voting record. No doubt. Uh, so they know that, and Mickey was reelected with that record. So they understand that, regardless of how they feel personally, the people in that district are conservative. And don't and don't voters. forget, don't forget this. And I was, voted there today. Was, there was a, a senator by the name of Cooper <laughs> that said he was totally against expanding Medicare. Speaking of which, I am going to be time. doing the same kind of format with Senator Cooper and Dan Sullivan. If, Of course, if Cooper doesn't That'd agree to do it, but I'm going to give him the option to appear at the same time as Sullivan. I'm thinking and, and working at maybe... Taking us up to Jonesboro and doing a remote from there. Mm-hmm. That sounds like Let's fun. Let's see if the two of them will come I'm all in with mm-hmm. us. Right. All right. Now, when we come back, I want R.D. to talk about the last big RNC meeting that happened a couple of weeks ago, state Republican meeting, and he said that Tim Griffin was there. Let's find out what he had to say. That will be tell, told to us when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show.
Let's move into the second hour. Dave Ellswick show. Power panels in. Jan is here now, so it is the complete power panel. Jan Morgan is here. She's on the very end. Is everybody who's watching right now? Hello out there's there. There's Paul Calvert in the day. middle, it's and cold. of course at the very end is uh, Artie. And yeah, it is cold out. Yeah, we go from 68 degrees with the day before to 20 something. So yeah, it's, it's, it's getting cold. It dropped 40 yeah. degrees. Right now, yes. Maybe. So turning over, let me. I want to go to Artie first, and then Jan. I'm going to come back to you on the okay. next topic because. I, I trust that you'll have some real good thoughts about it. Okay. Let's start off with R.D. He was at the last, this would be, the was it the winter meeting, or is it considered the fall meeting for the Republican That was the winter state? meeting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what came up during the meeting? Anything that is worth reporting? And then you said well, Tim Griffin spoke, and you heard him say some things. Well, the Republican Party is strong. They're in better financial shape in the state of Arkansas than they've ever been in. They... They uh, bought a location there close to the state capitol, and they bought the location, renovated it, made a place where they can have all their meetings in. It's beautiful and has it totally paid off. My signature is on the I-beam. All right. (laughs) So so, uh, the Republican and uh, the budget this year was smaller than the budget last year, so they reduced their budget and in strong financial shape, and and everything was non-controversial in the meeting, so the meeting went real well. Wasn't a platform meeting, but we will have a believe it will be a platform meeting to discuss platforms uh, coming up in May, but. Uh, so besides that, the Republic, everybody's excited about the upcoming election. Uh, they played a video for Donald Trump and got a standing ovation. Uh, the Arkansas Republican Party is 100% behind Donald Trump. Yeah, well, we were the first uh, Republican Party in the United States that had uh, President Trump come and talk to us that's, when he said he was running. That's Doyle exactly. got him to come here. That's exactly right. I got my picture made with Donald Trump and uh, and went to the dinner and watched him give him a gun. So Donald Trump came to Arkansas, and the Republican Party of Arkansas gave him an Arkansas Traveler Award and, you know, another gun. Everybody needs so, another gun. So, was that possibly the first gun he's ever owned? Oh, no, I do, no, I do not. No, 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 no. Is, is Trump no, a gun no. guy? But I don't know t- if he's a gun guy, but I'm sure but, he's well, a he gun. Well, he says he carries. Oh, really? He, okay. has, so, he has his concealed carry. So uh, besides that, Tim Griffin did speak. Okay, and, what and have uh, to say. Well, I, I did know that I did not know that Tim Griffin was going to speak. So, uh, so I walked out. But my wife and daughter stayed because I had twelve. I had twelve hours worth of work I needed to do Saturday and about three hours. Yeah. So I started. <laughs> so I started at noon and quit at midnight. So I'm sorry, Tim, that I I wasn't there. But uh, but anyway. Uh, he said he was going to, if he's elected president, he's going to cut income tax. to So no, the state of Arkansas. No, wait a second. Let me stop. You said if he's elected president. I'm sorry, if he's elected governor. Okay, I'm thank sorry. you. So uh, if he's if Not Tim saying Griffin, that Tim wouldn't like sorry. to be president. Oh, one step at a time, Tim. All right, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. We'll, we'll support you for that. But uh, it says for if he's elected governor, he's going to cut income tax so the state of Arkansas will be able to, to compete in joining states. He said that there is enough waste in the budget to cut the waste instead of raising taxes. All right, let me stop you right there. Jan Morgan, didn't you say that when you were running for governor? Yes, I did <laughs> I like say that. that. Yes. So. 
I brought a smile to your face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he brought something up that's but everybody, close to but me they and Paul. Said, no, it's not possible. When I said yeah. it, no, it's not possible. We don't have any waste that we can cut. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you said that too. Yes, yeah. the Golden Gate Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge in Texas. But mm-hmm. but he also said another point that uh, that I had my wife list the points. She said uh, that Arkansas need to take less federal money so Arkansas will have more control of their destiny and their policies. Wow. So is, uh, is he is he like wanting to be the host of this show? Uh, I, I don't know. I think he. I think he's. I, we do know that Tim does listen to the Dave Ellswick show, so he does text us sometimes yeah. whenever. Yeah. Whenever he does. Whenever he says something, but he said one more thing that that, okay. that that good to me. He says that if you lower one tax and replace it for two more, that is not a tax reduction. <laughs> he believes in real tax de- uh, reduction to reduce taxes across the board. That Arkansas will. Never be in first place and still unless they make big changes and quit making in little other, adjustments. In other words, let's have a tax cut where the revenue actually goes down for government. Well, it will, maybe we will not hear the term revenue neutral. Yeah, let's make it a, a, a revenue negative. So revenue yeah, neutral he, means take one tax yeah. down and raise taxes. And, and, that's, and, and that's if they're exactly strategic right. about it, what it may actually mean is that, you know what, we think this this area over here is going to start bringing in a whole lot more money, so we're going to make a revenue neutral tax um, shift and and in the end, we'll bring us more. Right, right. And so may, maybe the industry is well, a, is exactly a $2 million dollar industry a day, but we expect it to be a $45 million dollar industry or, in three years. Or we're going to cut taxes on veterans, and more of them are going to stay here, and it's going to raise our income and lower the taxes. So, yeah, we got beat on, on the veterans deal. But he said one more thing that I want to make sure that, that I bring up. Uh, Tim said that Arkansas is spending enough on education to be in first place in education in the country. Don't and then being that. in 46th and 42nd is not acceptable that his goal in education is to be number one in the nation, and he's willing to make the changes that it takes to get us there. If you want to be number one, would I suggest send people out to Utah? And let them study what they're doing there, and then bring it back and and, and redo it here. Because Actually, if you want to be one. number one in everything, I suggest that politicians stop being politicians and start being real people and being honest. Well, well, uh, well that, that that's probably unre- unrealistic. Well, I'm just. I'm, I'm, I'm but, you no, say, since I'm sitting here and it's can I can I, can I opine now <laughs> on this sure. issue? Here, here, here's the honest truth. Okay, so so Tim Griffin talks the good talk. Tim Griffin is saying exactly what I said in my campaign speeches. But Tim Griffin endorsed a governor that he knows was doing the opposite. And not only did he endorse that governor, he went on to say that the things that our governor is doing was good for Arkansas, that we were transforming government, that we were cutting taxes and we're cutting spending. And that is just not true. And the problem for Tim, and I, Tim and I are going to have a meeting and talk about this soon, but the problem for Tim is his bandwagon now, he, he hitched his wagon to Governor Hutchinson's truck. And Governor Hutchinson's record when he leaves is going to be a record of increasing government spending by over 100 
well, excuse me, by over $1 billion. Okay, we've, ex- we've increased government spending by over $100 million every year he's been in office. You cannot continue to increase spending and say you're going to cut taxes, which is why we cut taxes over here and then raise taxes on the other side of the budget. That's not really cutting taxes. And it's nice that Tim is saying that now, but I've been saying that all along, and he agreed with me. And the problem is... He should have stayed out of that primary, and rather than tout the governor's horn and say what the governor's doing is awesome, he should have been saying these things all along and saying this is not good for Arkansas because what's going to happen is the Republican Party, and I am a I am red to the core, genetically Republican, but the Republican Party is going to pay in four years after eight years of having total control of our state government, and the Democrats on the debate stage are going to be looking at the Republicans on the debate stage and say, look, I don't care what you say you're going to do. You've had eight years. What have you done? You have increased government spending by a billion dollars. They don't have the people dollars. to do it. You, you, well, you know... They don't have you the don't people have to, to do it, Jan. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to say that. And well, you can say truth. whatever you want, but let's go back and look at the 135 years they were in control, Jan, and what did they do for the damn state? Nothing. Zip. Nada. Well, what have we done? We started turning it around some. Revenue neutral and being dishonest with the people is not turning it around. No, we you are turning it know. around. You know that we are not as bad as what... I'm not saying that we're where we should be. With uh, the Republicans in the state house, you know that you've talked mm-hmm. to me enough. They've talked to me enough mm-hmm. to know that. And the bottom line is, and I, I was saying it to these guys before we got into the show today. I believe that uh, as much as I disagree with Hutchinson on a lot of stuff, I think that he was probably the bridge that we needed to go from 135 years of Democrats to the new change that's coming. For the Republicans, the big change is coming in the next election. Hopefully, whether yeah. whether it's Tim or whether it's and she hasn't declared yet, Sarah. All right, or Leslie, or Leslie, I've heard Leslie and Leslie well. hasn't declared either. Right, and or when Jim they do, Hendrick. we'll have them on to talk. Yeah, <laughs> but, or John Cooper. Jim, but I'm just ready. I'm just ready for oh. people to be honest. And I, as a Republican, and it is my party. And I want us to be the party of integrity and honesty with the people. And when you're not being completely honest with the people about what we're doing with their money, and we have increased spending ridiculously. We, 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 have, we have increased spending. And we've increased taxes. We, we have not overall lightened the tax burden off the backs of the people. And you can't deny that. And I think but, the thing is that when Asa ran for governor, he did not run on a small government ticket. He, he ran as a as a as Well, a, when as he ran against me, he ran as a conservative. Oh, well, whatever <laughs> so, that means. But that, that, that's <laughs> It's, you it's can't pin anybody down on a general subject. That's a, that's a throw on, 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 on a general subject like that. But the question is, and, and and Tim was who we were talking about. The question is, is Tim has been going around ever since he got back to the state of Arkansas, and he's been and, and he's and he's talking about uh, smaller government, the Second Amendment, uh, bringing Arkansas up into technology, mm-hmm. and, and doing all these things. So. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get in the position to make, to, to do something. Jen, you and I are wired a lot. We're just going to come in swinging and and telling things the way it is. You know what? Me and you are not in the position right now, maybe because we're too much that way. But Tim says he's been abiding his time. 
waiting his turn to be able to get there <laughs> and and turn things around and uh and maybe tim maybe he's telling maybe he's telling it the way it is a lot of people that know him say that that they support him and, and they and they believe it but well, I, i've, known, uh, I've so. known tim for quite a while now and i i i, I i'll I'm willing to be open-minded with him. I, I would like to hear more specifics. He talks about big, huge changes, and but I want to hear specifics. I mean, what kind of changes? Which which government programs are you going to cut? I want specifics. Which which programs? Well, he which said departments on show, are, he he said there 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 that literally is hundreds of millions of dollars in waste. waste. I, I, he said that. Of and course, he knows there is. that he's more you know he's, he's right but, there. But with I want the budget. I want to know specifics. Which, Medicaid expansion and red flag laws. Yeah. DHS. The two right, and I want, and DHS, I want to know specifics. Which departments are you going to shut down? Which licensing schemes? You'll not hear that. No. You'd not get elected if you go out and you say all the different things you're going to just, you know, get rid of because there's people's livelihoods that depend on that, and you're going to suddenly make enemies of those people. Unfortunately, I'm it's, just saying it's, you, it's you a, will. It's a mag. It's a huge industry. So you hold some of that stuff close to your vest. All right, Dave is on the line for us. Let's go talk to Dave. Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm I'm good, uh, Dave. Uh, two quick things. Uh, our present governor, uh, no way is he conservative. He's he's a bleeping liberal, and uh, this is this next thing is a little bit tongue in cheek. But uh, as far as the education system, I'm a Methodist, but you could you could turn uh, the education system over to the nuns, <laughs> and I guarantee you improvement. All right, we appreciate your call, Dave. We'll, we'll let you. i got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Pensacola. Uh, the announcement today is that they are putting on hold the uh, training going on with Saudi Arabia. And I want Jan to tell us what she thinks about American military people not being able to carry on base. That's coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we've only got a few minutes before we get to the new. Well, we got more. We got about seven minutes, and so I want to turn to uh, to Jan because mm-hmm. Jan is my number one Second Amendment person that I talk to. And if I have a question, I'll be honest with you. I talk to her and I talk to Ed Monk. That's the two people that I talk to, and I know I'll, between the both of you, I'll hear the exact You'll get same it thing. Exactly. I'll hear right. the exact same thing. So in Pensacola. They've, they've had uh, the pilot that went nuts, and mm-hmm. he shot three of our, our military people. This training, these training programs have been going on forever. As I shared with everybody yesterday, when I was in uh, basic training at Lackland for the mm-hmm. Air Force, we had uh, Iranian troops all over the base because we were working with them because of the Iranian-Iraqi war at that time, and so the Iranians were our friends. <laughs> and uh, that's the bottom line. And that's always the problem when you train other pilots to use your technology and everything. Mm-hmm. At that time, they're your friends. They may not always be your friends, but you got to 
you that was strange, kind of based on the strange having common enemies. So then my, my question for you, Jan, and, and Ed brought this up to me as well. He said that twice during the time that he was in the military, after the first Gulf War, that uh, DOD put out warnings to military personnel that they were A-1 targets for terrorists, mm -hmm. whether on the base or, or off. off the base, right. either one. Right. And, uh, but it's, you know, President Trump changed what President Clinton said about not being able to carry. Mm -hmm. He said it's up to the base commander. Is it time, do you think it's time for the, the president to say, hey, if you got a concealed carry, you should be able to carry on base? No, not even a concealed carry. I don't even think it should have anything to do with a concealed carry. Okay. If you're in the military, if you're an American citizen, you should be able to carry, period. If you're in the military, you certainly should not be disarmed like no on the basis. And I also believe, and I, I, I've been working toward this, that if you're a veteran and you come home, uh, you should not have to pay a law enforcement agency for a permission slip to carry a gun in your community. You should be able to be armed at all times. Uh, so while we're in this battle of the whole concealed carry and, and constitutional carry, if you're in the military, you should be able to carry always, period. Uh, disarming our, our, our soldiers on the base is, is absurd, and I, I can't believe we're still there. Also, it should be encouraged for crying you, out you, loud. You have to realize, look at the situation with Nadal Hassan. Remember Fort Hood in Colleen, yep. right? Nadal Hassan. Okay, so this is a guy where there were, where there were a number of red flags indicating that he Wait, was don't use that term radicalized <laughs> if they, that's how they want to call it radicalized yeah. but any time that you are on uh, whether it's and look at the look at the soldiers in the, in the war zones in combat zones yep. who were killed by uh, islamic terrorists who were fellow soldiers so when you when you are when you are side by side with people who are committed to and aligned to a Quran that commands them 109 different verses to to hate, murder, and terrorize the anyone infidel. who refuses to submit or convert to Islam. And although not all Muslims follow those dictates in their Quran, the Hadith and Surah, still those commands are there. And, you know, how do you... How can you align yourself with a constitution and Sharia law? You, you can't do both. You, they can't coexist. And the fact that our military refuses to acknowledge that for political correct, politically correct reasons, I think, is, is troubling. And if I were a soldier, that would be a problem for me. Yeah, I think that it's been going on a long time, mm -hmm. but, but the world has changed. I mean, that is the key. The world has changed. Now, they, they stopped the training with the Saudi pilots. Now, I don't know if that means that they're sending them home mm -hmm. or they're still on base or how that's working. As I said, there's been foreign nationals. I mean, Shepard Air Force Base down in uh, northern Texas as a NATO training base. So anybody who's in NATO sends their troops, their pilots over here to undergo training with American pilots and to learn our technology. Well, and you remember just recently there was a, a, an Islamist who was a mechanic <laughs> for a commercial airline. Yeah. And he ended up tampering with the navigation system yep. and admitted he did that. So, you know, I, it, this is something that we've got to, to stop 
kind of come to grips turning with it. our heads for politically correct reasons and look at the reality of the situation so uh of course you know how i feel about that yeah so. well i agree with you i i agree we got to figure out a way to do it within the, the strictures of our constitution if they're uh, if they're United States citizens, we got to figure out how yes, to deal with it. Freedom of religion is one thing, but uh, if you're if the, Islam is not, in my view, a religion, it is a theocracy because it has a system of government attached to it. That changes things. You know, there, there's not another religion in America that has a government system attached to it. So that is that is, and, and I'm not just. I'm talking. Uh, so I'm saying the it's, same it's, thing it's, that uh, Do, uh, Zudi, Dr. Zudi Jasser talks about this. He is a Muslim who fought in our military, and he says that Sharia law has got to be dealt with because it is it is it is violent, and it creates most of the problems that we're having. And the Islamic world will not listen to him and work with him on that. All right, we got to get to the news when we come back. Tim Snowball. On the Dave Ellswick Show, we've got the power panel here. At least somebody's paying attention. <laughs> yeah, we've got the power panel here, and we've got uh, we've got Tim Snowball that's called in that it knows more about the impeachment proceedings and and is a scholar on these sort of constitutional things. Constitutional scholar, a constitutional that's scholar, important. and is going to uh, bring us some facts about the impeachment process and if it's in the alignment with our Constitution. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a so you know we've here that uh, this impeachment proceeding is much different than any that's happened in history. Can you tell us some of the differences between this impeachment proceeding and some of them that's happened out through uh, the earlier part of, of the other three that have happened? Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You've got you've got two impeachments. You had Andrew Johnson back in 1868. He got impeached for firing the Secretary of State at the time, Edward Stanton, during the Reconstruction era. Then, of course, you had Bill Clinton back in the uh, in the late 90s for his uh, alleged affair, you know, with Monica Lewinsky. Nixon got close. They were they were going close to to impeaching Nixon. He most likely would have been impeached had he not resigned, you know, in time to uh, to to miss that inquiry. I think what makes this one different, first of all, is the speed. They're they're moving quite quickly, I think. Anyone who's a, an observer of Congress can see that these hearings are moving quite quickly, and you can't help but wonder whether they're speeding up the timing uh, in regards to the presidential election, of course. We have a presidential election coming up in 2020, and so that's an interesting point. Um, I think another interesting point is the, the presence of a, of a foreign power, you know, with the Ukraine in this case. One of the concerns of the framers of the Constitution, given the president's broad power over foreign relations, was the fear that you know, the president might collude with the foreign power to intervene somehow in domestic affairs. And that seems to be exactly what the Democrats are alleging in this case, um, pursuant to the articles of impeachment they released today during their press conference. So the abuse of power, you think that's the direction they're going to take? Um, yeah. 
Sure. Okay. Yeah, you've got you've got you've got two two charges. It looks like from from what I can see, you've got the abuse of power related to the uh, alleged quid pro quo with Ukraine, and then you've also got this interesting charge of the obstruction of Congress that has to do with the president basically allegedly stone you know ordering his underlings to stonewall Congress and not to to uh, cooperate with the investigation. I think if that if that proves to be true, that would also be something that would mark this as a as a bit of a difference from past. So can you can you t- kind of tell us, give us an idea of what, what does it even mean to obstruct Congress, and is that just sort of a, almost like a contempt of Congress, it's almost like basically the president says, I don't want to talk to you, or I don't really care, care about your opinion. Is, is that sort of a political say, way of saying, um, you're not cooperating with us, and so we want you to be punished? Well, it's interesting, right? You go back to the, to the Constitutional Convention, and you look at some of the debates that were taking place. I think everyone at that point agreed that you know robust executive power was necessary for the new country, but they couldn't agree on how Congress or the legislature would be able to rein, you know, presidents in. What would they do in the case of a president either, you know, overtly violating the Constitution or even falling in his in his public charge? And so you've got some pretty interesting statutory standards that were bandied about back and forth. If the original standard being malpractice or neglect of duty, um, then it was narrowed down to maladministration. And so this back and forth ultimately results with what we ended up with in the Constitution: treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. And the interesting thing with high crimes and misdemeanors is that define, however, the president decide, or the, excuse me, the uh, House of Representatives decides to define it. You know, impeachment is akin to a charge by a grand jury, an indictment. And so, if the House of Representatives decides that uh, what the president allegedly did was a high crime or misdemeanor, they're free to charge him with that issue and uh, to pass that along to the Senate. Of course, the Senate in our system will be the actual body sitting in judgment of the president, acting as a jury, as fact finders, to decide whether or not the president is actually guilty of what he's been charged with. And uh, interestingly, for, for history or constitutional nerds, the Chief Justice of the United States sits as the judge mm-hmm. in that situation yep. in the U.S. Senate. So, so what, cool. what, what kind of power will that judge have? Will he just kind of be like a master of ceremonies? I mean, it's interesting. I think that it, yeah, it probably is very hands-off. I don't know, actually. It's an interesting question. I mean, one of the things that's interesting with this question is that we've only had, you know, like we mentioned, the two impeachments in American history. I think the presumption of the founders was that this wasn't going to be a tool without teeth. That you know, this was going to actually be something that Congress could use against presidents, you know, on on a pretty often basis in order to rein them in from possible out of control behavior. And the fact that we've only had two two impeachments in history really makes this, uh, you know, fascinating because a lot of these things that we would assume would be settled uh, historical questions are quite open-ended. Okay, Tim. I've got one more question. This is R.D. I'd like to ask, you know, uh, in, in, we know in the case of Nixon there was bipartisan support for him to stay, step down because, you know, they were talking about impeaching and he got, uh, he didn't have support from most of the people in his own party and the, uh, looks to me like that there needs to be bipartisan support for something like this in the other two cases in history was there bipartisan support I think it may have been very much along party lines in terms of, of reconstruction 
and the country was very split at that point in the wake of the assassination of President Lincoln. Uh, president Johnson was not a popular president. He was, uh, some would say, specifically obstructing the ability of Congress to enact Reconstruction legislation. Uh, I'm old enough to remember what it was like in the late 90s with the with the with the Clinton impeachment. And so I, I think, unfortunately, it's always going to be kind of split along party lines. But you know, you make a great point: is when this thing, if if they wind up voting in the House to impeach the president and it gets to the Senate, where then are we at? We're going to have a public trial of the president, and the president's party is in control of the Senate. And so, you know, it's going to turn upon, you know, what kind of evidence I think is presented. If the evidence is overwhelming of some malfeasance on the part of the president, I would imagine that some senators in the GOP would be hard-pressed not to vote in favor of a conviction. If, on the other hand, uh, these charges are trumped up, uh, so to speak, and uh, there's no basis for them, <laughs> there's, no, there's no basis for them, and then you, you, would, uh, you would think that, you know, senators uh, on the GOP side would feel more empowered not to vote in favor of impeachment. And I'll tell I think that the, the Democrats are taking a heck of a gamble if this is some kind of electoral gambit, if this entire uh, exercise is premised on the idea of somehow damaging the president or this serving as some kind of distraction uh, as we go into an election season. If the president is not convicted and if his base rallies behind him in the wake of this thing, it could very well backfire on the Democrats, and they're going to find themselves on you know January 1st, 2020, in an even uh, more reduced position than they find themselves today. Tim Snowball is our guest. He's a constitutional attorney. And Tim, let me ask, yesterday, you talk about getting in the weeds and a geek. I'm a geek, all right? We like and, weeds here. And uh, we were talking about Federalist Number 65 by Alexander Hamilton. And uh, he basically looked at impeachment as you couldn't trust the House of Representatives to do it because they were not neutral. The Senate was the same way. And uh, the Supreme Court... You know, they had all of their kind of uppity ways about them. And he said the only way that you could you should remove a sitting president, basically, was through the ballot box. I mean, do you kind of agree with what Hamilton was saying? Well, I think it's, I, you know, I think it's definitely an interesting question. I mean, I, I, as a constitutional attorney, I've dedicated my life to defending individuals, you know, rights under the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And so I hold the that document, I think, rightly so, and, and, and almost, you know, venerate that great charter. But when you read the history of the Constitutional Convention back in the 18th century, this was a tough negotiation that, that a lot of these uh, framers had going on, where they were going back and forth with different, you know, factions, trying to hash out the exact language of what was going to end up ultimately in the Constitution. And I think you look at Federalist 65, which, you know, for your listeners may not know, the Federalist Papers were written as a series of op-eds, basically arguing in New York, uh, in favor of New York ratifying the Constitution. But Hamilton, you know, goes, hey, look, you know, we need to divide up this power of impeachment between the different branches of government. So, you know, you place the House of Representatives directly in charge uh, as the people's direct representatives for deciding whether or not there's been an impeachable offense. Now, it was thought, as you mentioned, that the Senate would be a more removed body Body would be a more uh, objective body because originally the Senate wasn't even voted upon no. by voters. It was you know? the state legislatures. Yeah, and so the idea, I mean, unfortunately the 17th Amendment destroys, completely destroys, along with many other things during the Progressive Era, uh, the, the carefully crafted balance of powers the, Fed, the framers had put into the Constitution, but originally, Fed, you know, the senators were represented to uh, represent states, you know, and mm-hmm. to represent states in their federal sovereign capacity. And so it was thought, you know, these guys are going to be a 
little bit more removed, the upper chamber, and they'll be in the best position to objectively vote on this. And then they didn't think it was appropriate, obviously, for the Supreme Court to have too direct of a role because Supreme Court justices are dependent upon the president for their appointment. And they said they thought there may be some conflict of interest, but they still allow the chief justice to come in and preside. I mean, Hamilton, another point that he hits in Federalist 65 is this the nature of impeachment. I think that one thing that I've heard in the media quite a bit or from individuals questioning this procedure and questioning what's going on is the idea that an impeachable offense has to be uh, the commission of a federal crime. That, that is to say that the president must have committed a, a crime pursuant to already existing federal statutes in order to be convicted and that's sim- or charged, and that's simply not the case. I mean, Hamilton in Federalist 65 describes impeachable offenses almost as a violation of the public trust. And so I, I don't think that, you know, the, if you watch the uh, press conference today from the Democrats talking about the articles of impeachment, it was no coincidence that they were repeatedly referencing violations of the public trust. I think that that was uh, most likely by design. I would, I would agree with you on, on that as well. You, were, you mentioned a moment ago that this could backfire on the Democrats. Looks like that's already begun in the uh, polling from the battleground states, which for instance. Predicted. Yeah, which we predicted. Uh, in the battleground states, for instance, in March, Biden was ahead of Trump by 12 points. Mm-hmm. Right now, after the impeachment has been running now for, what, eight, nine weeks, uh, you've got Biden tra- uh, trailing in Wisconsin and in the other states as well. But in Wisconsin, he's trailing by nine points. So that's a, a swing of 21 points wow. over that time. But are they putting and Bloomberg just, in that what? mix? Are they putting yes, Bloomberg yeah, they in those numbers? In there. Where is he falling? He's at about 6%. Okay. That's where I expect him to kind of stay. About 6%. So, so they do a, they do he's 6% list. behind. Uh, Buterig is, is falling further behind. Warren has fallen further behind. Sanders has fallen further behind. I think this is going to backfire on the Democrats significantly. It, it backfired on the Republicans in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, the first thing I thought when I saw this uh, inquiry kind of ramping up was, well, if, if they were really as confident in their candidates as they claim to be, would they really be launching this right in the middle of a presidential election? If they actually thought that Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren actually you know, had a, had a more than likely chance of, of, of beating the president, would they be doing this? Because it, it, as you said, it, it seems to be uh, a bit of a gambit, a bit of a, a, bit of a, uh, of a distraction. Sort of a Hail Mary. Yeah, what are they, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, so you, you, you look at it, and I, I think there seems to be a disconnect. I've, I've got some good friends on both sides of the aisle. I've got some good friends in San Francisco. I went to UC Berkeley for uh, for college, <laughs> which was itself a pretty uh, interesting experience for a guy I like bet. me. It's an education. <laughs> wow. But, but, you know, I went there, so I have I still have friends in the Bay Area, and I'll, I'll talk to them occasionally. And there just seems to be a, a, a bit of a reality difference, a perception of reality between <laughs> those think? on the coast <laughs> and those on the inland, because I, I think what is is missed uh, in in this larger discussion is the fact that with his base the president remains extremely popular and and some of the things that Democrats will hold against the president as oh every every time you turn around there's a nail in the coffin right oh this is it yeah you know, he's done this is it <laughs> and I speak to friends and family who are more from a, a right side of the spectrum persuasion and the exact things the Democrats hold as liabilities are seen as positives in the eyes mm-hmm. of President Trump's base and so. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch this process unfold. Um, I can't imagine that if I was one of the Democratic candidates, I would feel enthused about this because I want the focus to be on my candidacy mm-hmm. and the, the policies that I have to offer 
to the country as opposed to making the entire conversation about President Trump. Isn't it interesting to you, uh, as I guess it is to me, that you look at Pelosi and at the very beginning she said this had to be bipartisan and now it's like the hell with bipartisanship you know we're we're going we're going to we're going straight ahead on this no matter what you know i've got friends that are democrats all right and they can't figure out what she's trying to do i can't figure out what she's trying to do now she said she just wanted to be speaker for two more years do you think this is her final hurrah and let the left burn down the house and they're going to have to rebuild it i mean i I guess we'll say the problem that i think a lot of people have is that the talk of impeachment in terms of president trump had begun before he'd even taken the oath of office that's correct the democrats had already decided that they were going which is their their right you know as we as we spoke about you know impeachment is an inherently political process they can roll the dice on it but they're you know talking about impeachment before the president had even taken an official act you see the entire investigation into russia kind of go nowhere um the Mueller report lands with a thud and it's just kind of this uh, dud, you know, and, and they all of a sudden things quickly pivot to the Ukraine uh, situation. And that's not to say that there's this is a baseless accusation made against the president. We're going to have to wait and see exactly what kind of evidence, in addition to what's already been released, gets you know released in terms of the Senate trial, if it in fact takes place. But I will say that I think in the minds of, of many conservatives and many Republicans, the entire thing just doesn't kind of pass the smell test. So, so let me ask one question. It goes to the Senate. Lindsey Graham said that what they were putting up as an impeachment basically was a sham, just like the president said. He said that he thought they shouldn't even have a trial. They should just Article 13 everything, throw it in mm-hmm. the trash. Uh, now, McConnell has said he feels like they have to have a trial. What do you think will happen? Do you, and, and if they do have a trial, how long do you think it'll go? Because the longer the trial is, there's a whole lot of candidates that are sitting at their desks at the Senate and can't be out campaigning. I think that, that that's absolutely fascinating. Now, not only do they have to be out, uh, camp, you know, not campaigning, they're going to be there in the Senate. But imagine, you know, if you're on the Republican side, I mean, my inclination would be to give long speeches mm-hmm. and try to delay the process and, and, you know, make it last as long as possible and, and really just do everything you can to extend it out and uh, and to keep it going because if you're on the Republican side I think you might look at this and say this will only help the president because once again you know here uh, in the perception of many on the right is the president being attacked for, for for no good reason right and so I think that not only are you going to have Elizabeth Warren scowling from her uh, <laughs> from her Senate desk I think you'll also possibly have a Rand Paul or you'll have you know Ted Cruz or different individuals who uh, will be able to use this situation uh, for their own purposes to get up and to make speeches and to talk about uh, what the attack being unwarranted. Hey, Tim, I'd like to get you back on in the near future. I'd like to talk to you about the Electoral College and why it's important. Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about that. I've done some writing on it. All right. We'll do that. We appreciate your time today. Some interesting uh, looks at uh, the constitutional side of impeachment. We appreciate your time today. Thank you, Tim. Okay. He hung up. <laughs> he was ready to get away. All right, a break. We'll come back. We got more coming your way. All right, we've got a few moments remaining here before we get to the uh, news top of the hour. We were going back and doing a little checking on our own and uh, seeing. 
uh, when this whole thing about not, disarming our yeah. soldiers on military bases. As far as I, I, I always can thought remember, it was President Clinton. No, I, but it's no. not. According to this information, it says that while it can't be placed squarely on his shoulders, actually, uh, Donald J. Atwood in 1992, who was then Deputy Secretary of Defense, signed a DOD directive. Uh, and that was during the elder Bush presidency. Yeah, Bush the elder. So uh, that happened during Republican but leadership. But here's, here's the point that I was trying to make <laughs> earlier, is that when I was in the military, and I was in in the late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. Bush. Uh, the, the, the guns were all kept in the armory. Hmm. Everything was locked up. Yeah, you, you know, it's a walk, different world. You, you didn't walk around with a, you know, an M16. That's what we use around the base, or you yeah, weren't you given even a, carry a handgun. You weren't given a nineteen eleven. You're a nineteen eleven or anything. No, you couldn't carry a handgun. Of course, you didn't have guys, you know, killing. It's a different. That's world exactly now. right. That's it's what I said. It's world. different. Mass. It's I, that, different that's world why now. we got to look at this training program that you're doing. We just had another shooting in mass shooting in New Jersey, right? Yeah, it's going to be questioned so, how did that work out because so it started because in, it's a gun free zone in New start, Jersey. It started I well. I agree with you, that, but it started in front <laughs> of a kosher grocery store, which rem, which makes me wonder if mm-hmm. it's some kind of anti-Semitic attack. Mm-hmm. So that's on the rise in this country. Yes. Okay. So two suspects. Um, fled in a rental van and holed up in a grocery store a few blocks away. So it sounds like maybe that's just kind of where they happened to, to land. And so I'm seeing um, two suspects, three civilians dead inside a supermarket. Including a police officer. And, and, and one police yeah. officer. Mm-hmm. Police, con- a police so officer I don't, I don't killed what, three were wounded. I don't know what started this. Um, I'm kind of looking through an article here. Um, well, there's one thing for sure. Male and female juvenile shooters. Is oh. the report. Oh, really? Armed wow. with long guns, launched a two-hour shootout against SWAT team, starting in a cemetery and ending in say, inside a kosher supermarket as a third shooter remains at large. Well, there you go. New Jersey has some of the most strict gun control laws in America. Didn't t- keep it out of didn't, their hands. Didn't stop it. Didn't stop a mass shooting there. Well, the, there's a law against drugs, and I'm pretty sure criminals still have drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty, pretty last, sure. Last time I checked, you know, you know, passing the law does not solve a problem. So much they, for Bloomberg. They can't idea. even yeah. keep drugs out of prisons. Right. Yeah, they. Have, I mean, they, they really think that passing laws against owning certain things is effective, and they can't they even keep only them out of prisons. With law-abiding citizens. Okay, so we're going to take a break at the top of the hour. Here, we got news for you. When we come back, uh, at the top of the hour, we talk to Doctor Gracie Christie. She is a doctor. She is uh, a Catholic. And we'll talk about the Supreme Court decision in Kentucky yesterday. That's coming our way. As well as, before we get done with the show, we're going to talk about highway taxes. Oh, boy. Me and the, oh boy. Me and the governor don't see eye to eye on this one. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we come back.
All right, let's get to our final hour of our power panel here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Jan Morgan is here. Paul Calvert is here. Artie Hopper is here. Of course, I'm Dave Ellswick. I'm your host. I'm here. The legend. And joining us today from the Catholic Association is Gracie Pozo Christie. And let me just tell you, yesterday, a big pro-life victory, uh, this time with a decision by the Supreme Court uh, in the state of Kentucky, where I went to college at, where my mother was born at, where both my brothers were born at in Louisville. But I can say this, uh, they're becoming more pro-life as we speak. One of the things that they had passed is a law that said if you were going in for an abortion, you had to have an ultrasound. And uh, some people uh, went after that, and they lost at the Supreme Court yesterday. And, and Doctor, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk about this. That's a big win for us, is it not? Yes, it's. I think it uh, shows us the lay of the land uh, that uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, was declined to hear the appeal, um, and so that law stands. And it's one of the many laws that have been passed by pro-life states that uh, are are aiming to make abortion uh, more rare <laughs> than it is, and um, which is a really good thing, I think, for all people who respect the dignity of human beings right from the moment of conception. All right, fantastic. I mean, uh, you have done a lot of ultrasounds. Uh, I read uh, your your statement about this. How powerful is that for a woman that is thinking about you know ending her child's life? Well, look, ultrasound in general, fetal ultrasound. That's one of the things that I do as a radiologist. It's part of my daily practice uh, as a physician. And fetal ultrasound has completely changed. Uh, the I, people's ideas about abortion because it's opened a window into the womb where everybody can see very clearly from very early in the pregnancy that what we're talking about is a little human being, a young one, definitely, but still very recognizably human. And uh, making uh, you know laws like this, which uh, make it uh, make the make it necessary for doctors to show um, the patients what's going on inside their wombs. I think are very reasonable because a woman uh, and her husband and, and or her spouse shouldn't have shouldn't walk into a place and be told that what they're doing has no no real meaning like removing a tooth. They should know the truth of what they're doing so that then they can make an informed decision. It, you know, it seems hard for me to believe that a woman doesn't understand what she's carrying inside of her. Well, but it's one thing, Dave, to, 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 to say or see a picture of an ultrasound. But I can tell you as a woman who's had a child and who's seen that movement, you know, not just a still frame of what's inside of you, but to see that child moving around inside of your body, it is a, a, it is a life-changing moment. And now with the new kinds of ultrasounds oh, I have, yeah, which can, are really... You can really, see the, the skin tone and everything. Yeah, it's amazing. Can, yeah, I could see my grandson sucking his thumb this it was very very cool and he was up looking at the mm-hmm. camera it looked like to me but anyway go ahead Artie. dr Gracie. this is rd thank you for being on our show today could you clarify something for me and our listeners here now we had a similar law passed in arkansas and it was struck down by a higher court are you saying now that we can repass this law in the state of arkansas and that it should stand after this ruling is that what you're saying you know, legally, that's that's fairly complicated. What goes on in all the ways that these laws are sort of percolating through the the, the different the different um, 
the circuit courts and, and the state courts. But I think what it does do is it, it's, it's giving us a really good signal that when the Supreme Court does take up the next challenge, that, 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 they, that they do take it and they do examine it, that they're going to give, um, they're going to support these laws uh, which, which are regulating abortion. And, and they're regulating abortion because people are ordering, are, pe- citizens of these states want abortion to be better regulated and for women to have you know, better options um, than just destroying their children. This is Paul Calvert, Ms. Crazy. This is so. What do you think the odds are that the that the Supreme Court may go ahead and hear some substantial cases and actually recognize that you know what it isn't a federal issue that the states can indeed actually outlaw the practice of parents hiring a hitman to come kill their child before they're born? Is is there any chance that they're going to that that the Supreme Court of today? is going to actually learn how to read and recognize that this is not a constitutional power that they have. I, I believe that the chances are as good as they've ever been since Roe v. Wade. I think that we're standing maybe in a really important watershed moment in history. And I and the reason I really think that is because the other side, the pro-abortion side, they're worried. They're, they're very worried. And that, that makes me very happy. <laughs> it, seem, it seems to me that the left has gotten more and more strident about this. Uh, I think you remember, I know I remember, that it used to be, let's just keep abortion safe but legal. Now it's not that. Now it's, mm-hmm. let's have abortion all the way up until birth and maybe even after birth. even mm-hmm. after the right. child has been born. Yeah, and also that celebratory part of it that never used to exist. People didn't. People maybe wanted abortion to be legal, but they didn't mean to celebrate it. They didn't mean to celebrate it as a moment of liberation, uh, when really it's a tragedy for everyone involved, including mom and dad. That's awful. I mean, we don't. Can you imagine if somebody had a celebratory party for putting their dog down? I mean, yeah. I mean that, that's bizarre. You know what I would like to see is a requirement, and I know this is probably excessive, but I would like to see a requirement that the father of the child be notified and have a I say agree. <laughs> in the abortion issue. Because, and, and if a father, if a man says, well, I don't want you to have an abortion, that's my child in your womb, then, okay, you also have to help take care of that child. I you agree with that, too to financially support that child. If you're going to get involved in the decision, then you also so should be involved uh, throughout that child's life. And a lot life. of fathers want that responsibility. They want the opportunity to be involved and, and take responsibility. And but then, you know, Go ahead, Dr. You bring, up such, you bring up such a good point because one of the things that abortion, this crazy abortion liberal license that we have in the United States has done is it's removed the idea that men are responsible for the children that they engender. Mm-hmm. And that's so basic to humanity that that how can we now pretend after uh, you know all these thousands of years of being human that suddenly men don't matter when it comes to their sons and daughters that that can't be that's not right yeah that's also biblical yeah. right. mm-hmm. well, it was feminazism the, the idea that 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 women can rule the world and they're going to cut men out of their responsibilities and it, it, it it's it's wrecking society Family but it's is the also basis made women. Society. It's also made women so much more vulnerable and so much mm-hmm. so, and defenseless. It's taken away our defense, the defense of our of the men who should love us and take care of our children because they're told that no, they shouldn't love us and take care of our children. <laughs> and the defense that the man is is to be the head of the home. He is responsible mm-hmm. spiritually for the spiritual health of his family. 
That's right. And that, that's become an anathema in, in society today. Well, I know, but it's, it's biblical. But of it's course biblical. It of course it is. <laughs> how can you argue with of that? Of course it is. But, but how many churches would, would reject that biblical concept? Well, because women are taking a stronger uh, role in church. Mm-hmm. And uh, women uh, women who don't understand that when, when God said, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, he wasn't saying I'm, that, imagine that. You're, a, you're a slave to your husband, you know, and he told husbands, love your wives. It's a, it's a mutual Christ form of respect. As Christ loved the church, right, which is unconditional, unconditional. But in, and in that, that whole outline that God gave us for the family, you know, what I've learned throughout life is that when marriages fail, it is because one spouse or the other is not adhering to the outline that God gave us for the family. I think, I think it's always the case. Either one or both are not doing their job. Right. Well, somebody has to be right. the head. Somebody has to be the ultimate. The buck stops here in a family. Right. You know, and God said that that is the husband. But the husband is supposed to listen to his wife. He's supposed to. If you love someone as Christ loved the church, then you put that person's needs before your needs, and it all works really well if you can do it. But we're human, and human beings, you know, have a tendency to not be infallible. So. All right. So, Doctor, well, Doctor, go ahead, Doctor Gracie. No, I was going to say, well, I think that the devil then steps in and he takes the idea that that, that women should be treasured and cherished and, and their ideas should be heard and their and their opinions should be valued. They, he takes that idea and then and then turns it into this monstrous idea that women should just be totally in charge and, and, and men don't even shouldn't even get a say. And that's just monstrous. Let's throw, let's throw one more question out for you, and then we'll let you go, because I know you've got a busy schedule. Dr. Gracie, within the medical community, is abortion becoming more, you know, negatively viewed than it was in the past? I, I can tell you that, that most, the vast majority of, of gynecologists, I, I believe the number is between 8 and 9 out of 10, do not perform abortion. And this is uh, this makes a lot of sense because gynecologists, obstetric gynecologists, are in the business. They see a pregnant woman as two patients, not one patient. Thank they're you. In of getting, they're in charge of getting those two people through safely mm-hmm. to the to the birth of the child. So, but what I, it's also what's very sad, however, is that there in medical schools and in the professional associations of medicine, there's a very strong vocal minority that is trying to change that. And make abortion a sacrament, basically, or a, a holy, a holy grail. And and I think sadly they're succeeding slowly, like like they do, you know, in other in other areas. Well, I I can say for a fact, and I'm 67, and over the last 20 odd years, the uh, the left has made abortion their holy sacrament. No doubt in mm-hmm. my mind, they have. They've made it a sacrament. It's more than a right. I mean, it really is. It's more than a right for them. Whenever Roe versus Wade was passed, there should have been an uprising in this country. And uh, I believe the uprising is finally coming. It's been slow to come for the defense of these unborn children, but I hope you see it coming finally. Well, thanks to all of the people who have fought uh, valiantly the pro-life battle over all of these years, because I'm, I'm with you. I think that we have about got to a point where we'll see some some uh, really significant moves made. I think that we've already seen some, uh, but we may actually see you know, Roe v. Wade overturned, and that has always been my hope, 
is to see that. Well, but if it happens, Dr. Gracie, the key is is to keep the pressure on because if we don't, the left will just run it from a different angle. Well, and again, I think that we can take as a comforting measure the panic on the left. And Trump and the President Trump, sorry, and you know, and the and the desire to elect, you know, a, an administration that's going to reverse these advances, and and this, you know, that sort of strong energy on that side, I think we can take as a good sign that we we are winning battles. We're definitely winning battles. All right, Dr. Grazy Pozo Christie, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. I'll let you go, and we will continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. All right, bye-bye now. All right, we'll come back. We're going to talk taxes, oh, one of my favorite topics. Uh. And should we make a tax? And this is my biggest hassle with what the governor's trying to do. Should we put a tax in our Constitution. That's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, Melissa. Who is Melissa? Melissa Glenn. Glenn, And I invited her on because they had a meeting today. A human, believe it or not, human trafficking is such a serious problem in our state. They had a, there is such a thing as a human trafficking task force. I know. And they had a meeting today, and uh, Melissa Glenn was there to inform and educate people. So Melissa's joining us now. Melissa, uh, share with us what kind of information, what kind of numbers, uh, how, how serious is this problem in Arkansas? Hi there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, So our human trafficking task force has been meeting about seven years. um, And numbers, anyone you ask, are very difficult to get. But human trafficking is definitely something that happens in our own state and our community. Um, We have sister organizations. So we have our task force in Hot Springs. And then we partner with a group called Hub of Hope in northwest Arkansas and Hope Found in uh, northeast Arkansas. And then you have partners against trafficking humans in Little Rock. And each one of us have seen human trafficking um, almost on a monthly basis of, of interacting with either a victim or uh, legislation or some aspect that relates to human trafficking. Today we had some really informative information. We were talking about that recent case of the Arkansas man in Hot Springs Village who was arrested on 30 child pornography charges Wow! Um, just this last month. And so um, it's definitely, it's a big topic when you start talking about human trafficking um, annually, it makes about $115 billion a year if you include labor trafficking. If you're looking at just sex trafficking, it's thirty-five. I'm sorry, $32 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes when we think of human trafficking, you think of that person that was kidnapped and then brought over internationally or was picked up at the mall. Um, and that those situations are real and they do happen. But more often than that, it's usually happening in our backyard or in our malls or um, individuals who've been coerced or threatened. The legal definition requires that there'll be force, fraud, or coercion for somebody to have been um, exploited. A really good working definition is um, that human trafficking is the exploitation of the vulnerable for profit. And so if you think about vulnerability, that's usually going to be um, the gender of female, the age of minor, and then any risks or vulnerabilities like um, learning disabilities or insecurities, drug addiction, prior sexual abuse, not having dad in the home. And those are just the, the high-risk 
uh, criteria for people who become victims of human trafficking. So in our organization, we like to sorry try to address uh, and try and lower those risks in those type of populations. Melissa, isn't access to the Internet by minors, isn't that a huge contributor? Because it seems like, I mean, that's where a lot of the kids are getting. A lot of hunting ground there. Yes, predators. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We, as parents, have done a really good job of, you know, putting a security on the front door and making sure that our neighborhoods have neighborhood watches. But then you hand your 9-year-old or your 14-year-old a cell phone, and it's got this back door to an entire world that, um, we're not monitoring and we're not watching, and, and traffickers are aware of that. Predators are definitely aware of that, and they take advantage of that. You know, David Meeks, who used to be a state representative, was yes. very instrumental in doing a lot about trafficking. He was. And I had a lot of different people on that, that he was good enough to put me in touch with. One of the big problems, Melissa, that was happening, this is about three, maybe four years ago, is that local police were arresting the girls for prostitution when, in fact, they were being trafficked. Uh, is the local police learning to be able to determine the difference now? Yes, absolutely. Um, our, I, I'll speak from those that do attend our um, Human Trafficking Task Force, Jason Lawrence, the undersheriff, um, at the Garland County Sheriff Department and then several investigators, John Burfine, Mark Fallis, and others with the city police have been, um, I remember when they, some of them were first learning, oh, wait a minute, so this isn't a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, this is someone who's being prostituted, That's right. being exploited. Um, and then just them being proactive and training their own department. And so we have come leap and bounds in the last seven years, just seeing how interactive they are um, to identify not a woman who's out there by choice, but a woman who's out there because she doesn't have a choice. So, uh, are, did you have a question already? I was just going to say, someone's doing a good job. I, I got my CDLs mm-hmm. renewed, and I had to take a course in human trafficking. trafficking. So, I know that mm-hmm. someone uh, did some work at the state capitol, apparently, to make that happen. And, uh, yeah. and uh, it was very eye-opening. And whoever put the work into that, I, I, I applaud them, and it was very informational. All right, so Melissa, where can people go online to learn more and maybe get themselves involved with your all's organization? Well, um, to highlight what he just mentioned about the um, CDL license. Yes. That is a 2017 law that was just passed, and it is a great law if you're getting your CDL for the first time or renewing it. You have to take a 30-minute class. But if you're not, if you don't have a CDL, you can still take that class. You can go to truckersagainsttrafficking.org and go to their education um, tab, and then you can take that 30. I've, d- I've done it. Anybody can do it. Take that 30 minute class just to learn more about how to identify human trafficking. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We're called the Human Trafficking Task Force of Garland County. And you can also check out places like polarisproject.org um, and the Blue Campaign under DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. And there's numerous free trainings to learn more about how to spot human trafficking, how to identify it. If you feel like you've identified it and you just don't know how to respond, there's a national hotline. It's 888-3737-888. And I just put the eights on the end to make it easy to remember, but it's 888-3737-888. And you can also contact local law enforcement to follow up with that and any report that you make. Melissa, thank Thank you you very much for your time. We appreciate you. Let's take a break and go to the news.
Okay, we're going to get talking. We're going to get into talking about uh, highway taxes, but before we do that, uh, Jan talked to one of her. Uh, Facebook friends. Well, we're, we're broadcasting is, live on Facebook yes. in addition to on the on the radio. As we always and do. he was in the thread in one of the threads, and he was saying, I, "I have something I would like to add to the discussion on the Pensacola shooting." Okay. So it, that's and Jeffrey. He's welcome. Military. He's a military. He was actually man. in the Navy, right? Yes, yes, I was in the United States Navy, uh, active duty from uh, January 1978 to December 1981. Um, Thank you for your service. Well, it was, I was a homeless kid that needed somewhere to go. <laughs> okay. Well, good good for you. Glad that you, you chose um, the Navy. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how it is now, but every building that is on a U.S. Navy installation, when I was on active duty, there's a watch in there, meaning that there is a watch team. Uh, there are two people at the, the front entrance, and then there will be at least one or two people on every floor, but they're unarmed. Okay, they're unarmed then. Um, when you came on base, the Marines greeted you at the gate, challenged you at the gate, and uh, you were like, hey, you know, everything's cool, don't have to worry about anything, because I'm safe here, but times have changed. Yes, they have. Those watches and the roaming watches that, that roam the base or station, um, they need to be armed. I mean, it's real simple. And as far as having loose firearms all over the base, I don't think that's a good idea. Because, I mean, if you're training and you need to concentrate on your training, you're working on an airplane or, or whatever, you don't need to keep up with a firearm at that point. You know, but Ooh, have I'm designated, disagree with you there, but okay. Um, have designated people that are, like, in the building at the facility that are armed and that's their job well wouldn't you watch out hey jeffrey i was everyone i was former air force about the same time you were in the in the navy but wouldn't you agree with me that we we already had that and it's not enough protection because think times have changed i mean we had the mps the sps and all the rest of them but still uh, that's like having the police and saying, if you got a problem, call the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when seconds yeah, count, well, they're in, minutes away. But in, in, inside the bases, you don't. we didn't have that. You know, they were on the outside perimeter. I'm talking about inside the base. Wow, then the Navy did it different from the Air Force. We had them all over the place. I mean, yeah. but I, I, and, um, I think that it would be you know, right to a lot and, and look i didn't have a weapon when i was in the military everything was kept in the armory right right yeah and, and when i was in the navy people were allowed to have personal firearms but that personal firearm um when when you came aboard the base meaning at the the main gate you had to check with the corporal of the guards that hey man i got a firearm and they were okay they're they're going to check it make sure it's cleared it's empty no ammunition in it and then they're going to call your command, and they're going to say, I got Petty Officer Joe Smuckers. He's on his way. He has this, this, and this, or one firearm or whatever, and you make a beeline to your command, and you check at the, the quarter deck, and then you get escorted to the armory, and your personal firearm gets locked up. All right, so, Jeffrey, let me ask you a question. What, how, what do we do now when we got jihadists that are allowed on our bases and on our posts uh, to protect our, our our military men and women. Well, it's time to cut them off. 
And, um, you know, if we're going to train these people, um, <laughs> uh, I understand we have allies and everything, and, and that's that's a gray area. That's above my pay grade to make the decision on that. <laughs> you know, but, um, um, uh, because when, when I was in Navy boot camp, uh, there were um, Saudis and Iranian recruits training on the very same when, – when I went to boot camp uh, – Naval Training Center, Recruit Recruit Training Command, San Diego, we had Saudis and we had Iranians. Yep. And then um, about April of 1978, when I was attending a school up at uh, Naval Station Great Lakes, the Iranians, I guess it was about the time the Shah was exiled or whatever. Right. Uh, the Iranians, the, the plug got pulled on them, and those guys were gone. They were here one day and gone the next. Some of my buddies got duty over there cleaning the barracks up, and um, they left everything behind, you know, that was any kind of a Western anything, you know, American flags, uh, stuff that guys would have, you know, and and that would not be welcome uh, back home with the new new situation. Yeah, yeah, when the revolution was about to happen. The Ayatollah. Happened, right, right. That happened uh, October 1979. Yep. But, um, well, I tell you, the position, the position I believe of everybody on this panel is, is the more law-abiding citizens, whether they be veterans or not, that are carrying firearms, the better position that we are in to keep our families safe, to keep mm-hmm. our veterans safe, right. to keep our schools safe. We believe that the teachers, if... Uh, if you would like, should take the training, and the teachers in the school should be armed, the ones that feel comfortable with it. So uh, uh, we will be working on that with our position for our teachers, for our for our law enforcement, and for our veterans. All right. We're going to have to let you go, Jeffrey. We're running out of time. Thank you for your call. By the way, where is Macedonia, Arkansas? It's uh, lower suburbs. Of, that's what I call it. I'm being smart. Smart aleck. <laughs> it's lower suburbs of Magnolia. Oh, down, okay, you're down, you're down right. by the Louisiana right. border. South Arkansas, yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, like it's, you it's, like mud bugs down there, don't you? Well, no, I, I like deer meat and uh, there you go. water cornbread, man. <laughs> All right. We're with you. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate you. Thanks yeah. for being part of us. Yes, okay, the consensus. We didn't. We didn't totally agree with no. what he was saying. No. But I don't think. I think if he put a little thought to it, I think that he would agree with what we were saying. Well, you know, he was so. saying if he, if he was working on a plane or whatever, he didn't want a firearm, and that's fine. You don't have to have a firearm, but don't just because you don't want to carry one, don't tell me I can't. Right, because the thing is that, that so. if you're just carrying a sidearm, that, that doesn't generally get in your way. I can I can carry a Glock while I'm. Working on my rent houses. And I can carry and three I do, guns, and, and I do get in my way. I but feel the, better. The, the thing is, though, that it's just bizarre and stupid to tell people, military men, mm-hmm. on, on a base, you're not allowed to carry. Right. It might be. It might be one thing to say, you know, if you're going to drink, you can't carry. But to tell them, you know, you can't even walk around base, go to the commissary, or or or, or, or whatever it is you're doing. If the gun doesn't get in your way, for crying out loud, why can't you wear one? Right. I mean, it, it is free security. It makes everybody safer. It makes the entire society, makes the country, makes the cities safer if good people are carrying. Because you can't, you can't attack 
armed people very readily. And guns are just, uh, it's an awesome way of making it so that weak people can defend themselves against people that are four times their size. I would like to see the Trump administration deal with this policy, this unconstitutional policy. He passed or, or did an executive order saying that base commanders had the final say. Mm-hmm. I would like him to, to make the, the statement for himself as the commander in chief. In chief. Yeah, yes. right. That's hey, look, you got like to stop. It would be awesome if Trump would get up and just and say, "Look, you got to stop disarming these people. Don't don't leave them sitting ducks." That's the way a lot of times politicians will will not take the monkey and not say the buck stops here is we're going to give somebody else the position and let somebody else make the decision. It's kind of so, a whipping boy for uh, someone else yeah. to be responsible. It's unconstitutional. against Donald Trump. I'm with I believe it's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional. I'm just too. saying. I firmly stand with Jan. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Governor Hutchinson wants you to pass a half-cent sales tax in the state constitution. We'll talk about it when we come back. Okay, back with you. Let's go out to Arizona. Anna is out in Arizona in Tucson, a nice city, Tucson. I, sure I like Tucson. <laughs> well, and we're having beautiful weather, and I want to uh, send a big shout-out to Jan Morgan because we're big fans out here. Well, oh, she's thank right you. Here. Yeah, oh, this is Anna. Jan, I, it's Anna. She's, yeah. with the, she's with the Republican Party in, in, in Pima County. Is that... Pinnell. That's right. No, it's Pima no, County. Pima. Oh, oh Pima. Pima. I was a speaker at one of their events, okay. one of their Reagan Day dinners or something. Yeah. Was a, yes, well, good to talk to you. And you look awesome, Jan. Sorry, Thank you. Dave. I cleaned up okay. I cleaned up. Hey, okay. what about me? <laughs> you got to put some leather on, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll remember that. Go I ahead. Just, I just, I was listening. I was listening. I tuned in because I saw you guys had a, a live uh, watch party going on. And my husband is a pilot, and he was part of that FSDO program. And oh, cool. I think the ignorance, ignorance just keeps biting us in the backside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're highly trained and specifically trained, just like we should have for our firearms in our school system. And so I also have to give a shout out to the Faster Saves Lives program because ignorance is what's hurting us, whether it's what you know our president is doing for us, it's been great and people just want to hate, um, or they just want to leave our children as a shooting gallery in these gun-free zones. You know, people should be trained, they should be knowledgeable, and they should be armed if they're comfortable. But with or without that firearm, every American should know the law. They should understand what's going on, and they should stop living in ignorance. Okay, so what does your husband think about the program? Well, my husband uh, was part of that FFDO program, and there's a limited number of people who are allowed to carry a firearm in the cockpit. Okay. So this is this is important that people understand that it's just like a gun-free zone. You don't get to know who is and who is not armed, but they're prepared, and they are highly trained, not just for using the firearm, but for what takes place in a small area called a cockpit and how to defend themselves and the passengers. So I think, you know, that 
people should not be negative about these opportunities for us to be armed citizens. I, I agree. I'm a gun packing mama myself. Well, Anna, and you. And I'm armed every day. Good for you. <laughs> well, you're obviously a big Trump supporter. So I'm wondering how do you feel about the president turning this decision over to the commanders, you the know, base instead commanders. of the base commanders, instead of just allowing soldiers to be armed on the base who choose to be armed? Well, if I if I remember correctly in my history, it was Clinton who was the one that disarmed all of our military on the bases and posts, and that was a big mistake. I am completely against disarming our military when they are on their, their uh, bases and posts. These are people who are highly trained. They um, should be always observing each other as far as any psychological breakdown. We always know that there's a lot of stress involved. But we put these young women and men in charge of millions of dollars of equipment, and we tell them they're not capable of handling themselves with a firearm. That's ridiculous. <laughs> they're sitting ducks. And we've proven that with Fort Hood and other horrible catastrophes. So I, I'm, I don't understand what's going on. I do think that it's time for us all to get on the phone and say, President Trump, we're behind you 100% in securing, continuing to protect our individual rights and our Second Amendment. All right. Anna, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. I hope to get down to thanks Tucson you again. Do. Now, you're a little bit north yeah. of Nogales. Is that not correct? We are. That's correct. Right. I, yep. I, I came and down. We'd love to have you. I came down a, a few years ago at the King Anvil Ranch and broadcast live down there when the Minutemen were doing their thing down in the King Anvil, and uh, I, I got to know the people over in Pinal County really well. Uh, you got a great state there. Can I ask her one more question? Well, we we time? appreciate that. Yeah, you got one more time. For and one how more are things going uh, on the illegal immigrant? front there. I know your state, well, back when Governor Jan Brewer was governor, she was it, it was an enormous amount of money that it was costing your state to deal with the results of mm-hmm. illegal immigration. That was SB 1070, and Art Del Cueto was just on Fox Business uh, yesterday, and I was listening to him. He is, uh, I can't remember his exact title with Border Patrol, but anyhow, he was saying that the reports are that for this for the state of Arizona that our border uh, our illegal immigration deportation has reduced with the exception of Tucson because they just found another tunnel in in Nogales Arizona I believe he said so we are we're we are ground zero for that immigration problem it was SB 1070 that Jan Brewer um, was involved with and Tucson is, yes, north of Nogales, south of Pinal in Pima County, Mm -hmm. and we are dealing with, uh, I'm sorry, but communists. We have just elected a communist mayor. I'm not afraid to speak the truth. And this is all attached to the Grijalva situation, and they are targeting us, trying to make us a sanctuary city. And, in fact, on our city election this last November, uh, while we voted down that actual uh, legislation, or sorry, that was a charter change for it to be called a sanctuary city, uh, we still operate as a sanctuary city. And the mayor, the, the former mayor, outgoing mayor, was making those statements quite quite plainly. So they're not afraid to say that they are trying to usher in the socialist communist regime here. Hey, Anna. So we're, we're under attack. I want you to drive Jan Morgan crazy right now. I want everybody <laughs> to watch her just lose it here on the air. <laughs> 
tell them south of Tucson. To my friend. We were running me no, in that our, last election. All right. So, but here's, here's the key. South of Tucson, there is a large national park, and there are signs up that says, don't go there because mm-hmm. of the coyotes and the cartel members, correct? Yes, that's correct. And I believe it's north of Tucson. It's Pinal County. So that would be Sheriff Lamb, which we like to affectionately call Lamb Chop. Uh, That is because we don't just have the Mexican border. We also have the areas that are the Native American lands. And so you've got the different the tribal issue with being able to defend our border on that side as well. So, yes, that is very true. We do have signs that say it's not safe. Okay, Anna, do I need to come back to Arizona and whip up on some of those politicians? (laughs) It sounds like I do. Because you know what we got done in Arkansas just this last session? We had uh, State Representative Brant Smith uh, and Senator Gary Stubblefield worked really hard to get a bill that would prohibit sanctuary cities in the state of Arkansas, and it passed. And that means any sanctuary city policies that any cities try to initiate are going to be deemed illegal in this state. So, I mean, it's sad that we have to do that to enforce federal immigration law, but that's where we are today. But if you need me to come back to Arizona and whip up on some of those bad politicians, just give me a call. Well, or better yet, why don't you promote one of the good ones that's running? It's Brandon Martin for anyone out there listening in Arizona, Congressional District 2. Brandon Martin is the only veteran, Second Amendment, God-loving person that is running. God bless him. Uh, Brandon Martin, send him 20 bucks, people. Okay. All right. We appreciate you, Anna. Thanks, Thank you Anna. very much. We appreciate you, too. Take, thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye Bye. now. All right. So I just got to tell you, when I went through that national park. That's unbelievable. And I saw those signs. I, I was I was freaking embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how can you be told in your own country, don't go here? To because attack, it's a Mexican attack. drug cartel. Yeah. has control it's of dangerous. this to attack national park. park. Yeah. Wow. And you got a military base did right you get pictures down of this? there. Yeah, I, I did. Wow. I, I would have done a Facebook Live. Well, they didn't I, I, have Facebook Live then. That was about eight years ago. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting. You're, you've been back in the dinosaur I, age. I've been around David's for a long time, man. I've been involved in this stuff for a long time. Yeah, let's go ahead, Arlie. That's because the people at the base right down the road don't have guns. Yeah, that's true. There you go. That's true. They're all locked up. i got to wow. tell you, that, that, that shooting that took place on the Mexican border, right across from the American border, and that was the, the cartel, mm-hmm. and it's part of the Zetas, massacred those people, went into American territory, evidently, to get away, and then came back in, into Mexico. And then the Mexican president says, no, we don't want your troops to be messing with this. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'd be calling the Mexican president saying, look, we don't want to get into a, you know, I don't want to be peeing down your back and telling you it's raining, but I'm going to tell you right now, that we'll send wet teams over there and we'll take care of your Zetas for you. Mm-hmm. Well, the sad thing about it is that was two drug cartels and one of them murdered this whole family. Yeah, oh, this yes. murdered a family just to try to draw the other ones out of the woods. Burned just, those women and children alive in a car. So uh, disgusting. There's some great we documentaries on, on. on uh, Netflix and on. Uh, Amazon Prime related to the drug cartels and how they operate. And I've watched several of them. They are the most ruthless, evil 
I mean, they have absolutely You've seen them zero tire disregard for human life. Yeah, they it's tire un- people. That's yes. what they they learned that from South the, Africa, where they put the tire around your neck and set it on fire. Well, oh, well the wow. problem. Well, part of the problem is 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 the government Down and the police. Right. The yep, police are just corrupt. as corrupt right. as they are. You, weren't so, you telling us a while back that you talked to people from Mexico and that they're sa- saying that the the Mexican government is worse than the drug cartels? That's, that's, you know, just like some politicians are better than Got others and, 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 uh, and other people are better than others, there's some drug cartels better than others, but there's some communities in Mexico that feel safer with the drug cartels around than they do with the with, the, with the government, uh, government and, and the police around. So they've got major problems. Hey, got if major people can be armed, you don't, you don't have to worry about drug cartels. Maria That's Turner, right. Maria Pictures Turner, the national vice chair of 2A Women says, I know all, her. She <laughs> says all gun laws are unconstitutional. You got that right, girlfriend. Thank you. Alright. Jan, thanks for coming on thanks. over. Thank Pleasure. you for setting up that interview with mm-hmm. Melissa. Mm-hmm. It was very informative. Paul, thanks for coming. Yes, I want sir. more of your mother's uh, chocolate chip cookies next time. Okay. <laughs> right, so you we'll had chocolate in. chip cookies no, before we I got didn't. here. We're going to oh. get chocolate chip cookies. Okay. If, if your mother <laughs> says she can't do it, I'll do it. All right. Okay. I'll bring chocolate chip cookies. Okay. R.D., thanks for coming, brother. Hey, enjoyed it very Appreciate much. Thanks it. for having me, Dave. Bible Guy is going to be here next. Steve will be here, but Billy's on vacation and Scott's on vacation as well. Back with more for the final hour on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's get into the final hour. We've got the Bible guy here today. Steve has joined us. Billy Miller is out on vacation. Uh, Scott is out. I think he had something business-wise that he had to take care of with the church. And he'll be back next week, and so will Billy. Next week, let me remind you not to miss it because, and I'm excited about this, uh, we're going to do a whole show about Hanukkah. I know I just heard Steve say that he probably won't be able to make it. So he'll yeah, talk Hanukkah work. some today. Yep. You know? Yeah, well, I think we got a question about it. And well, we got two questions about it. Gotcha. Bottom line is uh, I'm sure that we'll have a menorah up here in the studio that day. I asked Scott, I'll have to recheck with him if we could get a hold of the rabbi who sets up the menorah there on. Uh, Chanel mm-hmm. and Bowman. Yeah, I don't. Is it up again this year? I don't know. Hey, sure John, you go over by that side. Is, is the menorah up again this year? Uh, it, it's not up yet. It's not going to be until the twenty next week. Second, I think, is okay. the first day. And he hangs lanterns. All right, just yep. so you'll know. But they got a big menorah that they put up there, yep. right by. The, is it? The ba- is that still a bank there? Yep. Is that uh, okay? Yeah, so we were anyway. there last year for the lighting. Okay. That's right. You guys went. You and Steve, or you and Scott went. Yep. All right. So anyway, let's go ahead and start off talking about Hanukkah okay. and Christmas. There's two different questions here. Can you explain the difference between celebrating Hanukkah and celebrating Christmas? What I mean is neither one of them are mandated, and for that matter, we could include Purim as well. That's in Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do we not have a problem celebrating it says prom, but I think they meant Purim. Yeah. And uh, Hanukkah, but we do seem to have a problem celebrating Christmas. Mm. So I'll let you start with that. And then there's another question about this. So I want to 
maybe expand the topic a little bit. Go okay. Ahead. So when when you use the phrase like it's it's not mandated, so you could take that. Um, I guess one, it depends on your your view on where we're at on dispensation or you know church and so on and so forth. There's a lot of things that people who hold to a traditional Christian view don't celebrate much that's quote unquote mandated uh, in the scriptures. Uh, but if you're someone who is like I am, where I believes that we should still continue to celebrate the biblical feasts that are mandated, um, but then we come across Purim, uh, which is not, which is the story of Esther and, and how God used her to help deliver the Jewish people uh, from the Persians and what was about to happen. And as a result of them being delivered, um, they have an annual feast in which they celebrate this. And God didn't say to do it, but it's just a memorial for them to celebrate how God moved on their behalf to cause the Jewish people to be delivered from the Persians. Um, we could, as Christians, say, well, we're going to remember that because it's it's a story of God's deliverance. So we're going to remember that. And without their deliverance, Messiah would not have been able to come. Well, we remember Pearl Harbor. We remember... Yeah. You know, the the fight we had with the Britain, Britons. We remember Washington co- uh, crossing the Delaware River. Yep. And we, we tie a lot of significance to God in those moments. Yep. So. And, and um, Pastor Scott told, uh, taught this past week, he's been doing a series called The Five in which uh, people ask – Questions um, are they? They make a request for um, topics to be taught. Good, and um, and so he does the top five. And the fifth one was on Hebrew roots, and and he just finished that one this past week. And he pointed out the scripture in Corinthians where Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he said to the Corinthians uh, how we went through, how our fathers went through the waters, meaning going through the Red Sea. Well, the Corinthians are in Greece; they weren't Jewish. They're goy. They're Greeks, mm-hmm. but yet he identifies them as our fathers, and so, and what he's trying to do is to bring them into realizing that we are no longer part of the nations, but as Ephesians two says, we have been made part of the Commonwealth of Israel. So we're brought into Israel. So what does that mean? Their history is now our history. So we celebrate Purim along with the Jewish people to remember God's hand, God's deliverance. Again, without which we wouldn't have had the Messiah. Um, Hanukkah uh, is a very similar event. Uh, but just separated, I don't know, by two or three hundred years. I think uh, Esther and, and what happened with Persians was around in mid four hundreds, and then Hanukkah happened around one sixty. Um, by the way, I said Ruth. I meant Esther. Gotcha. Sorry. Um, the um, the a common phrase that the Jewish people use uh, during their feast times is they say they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat, uh, and it kind of goes along. <laughs> kind of like that, right? It goes with um, the Exodus. You know, the same thing happened, and then obviously Purim and uh, Hanukkah. But Hanukkah is actually a prophesied event. Hanukkah is something that you can appoint to, even though it's not in the Bible, the prophetic event is in the Bible. And the book of Daniel chapter 8 tells us that one day that this was going to happen, that there was going to rise a nation that would come from the from the east, or from the west and then eventually take over that land and it would be split up into four nations and that they would conquer the temple. The temple would be underfoot for 2,300 days. Some unfortunate prophecy teachers try to put that into a future event, but um, you can look at it as a foreshadow, but its primary meaning was dealing with what was going to happen with Antiochus. And then it says after this period of time, then it would be restored. And it was. And so around 160, Antiochus came in, tried to get all the Jewish people to stop doing all of the Hebrew things and tried to make them Greeks, ban Torah, 
uh, and then ultimately a group of people called the Maccabees rose up and uh, overcame uh, them and led a revolt and ended up kicking them out. So we remember that event, and Jesus remembered that event because he, in John chapter 10, I believe it's in verse 22, it says it was now time for the Feast of Dedication, and Jesus was in the temple during that period of time celebrating that event. It's an eight-day event. and he, it was taking him several days to walk from his home in Nazareth to go down there and to participate with it and then walk back home. So he thought it significant enough to remember that deliverance. And again, I use it to prove Bible prophecy. Well, and basically, this is an, a, a case where people need to know the Hebrew angle of all of this so that they can understand the Christian angle Correct. for this. Correct. Now, to go, I think the rest of that question had to do with making it a comparison with Christ, Christmas. I think was that right? Uh, and that one? Said that we celebrate Hanukkah and celebrating Christmas. What I mean is neither one of them were mandated. For that matter, we could include Purim. Why do we not have a problem celebrating Purim and Hanukkah, but we do seem to have a problem celebrating Christmas? Okay, so I just laid out the the two biblical references uh, to that event. Um, There's not a reference in the Bible to Santa? <laughs> there is not. <laughs> um, but the idea of what we have in modern celebration of, uh, of Christ's birth and Christmas didn't come about until about the 4th century. Um, we've taught on this show, and, and we believe, and don't, can we say with absolute certainty, 100%? No. But with probably about a 90 to 95% certainty that Jesus was born during tabernacles, and you can use that by going into the timetable um, of the priests in, um, I think it's in Second Chronicles 24, and then the timing it gives us uh, in, in Luke um, when it tells when it was during the time of Zacharias serving in that. So anyway, that's another time for another show. But we talk about that because it keeps Jesus in the context of his Judaism, as you were just trying to say, within that Hebrew context. But as we celebrate uh, what people celebrate today as Christmas and Christ's birth, didn't come about until the 4th century when, as Constantine, the... um, Politician, the Romans. Right. The post- politician he was, took um, all of the festivals that the pagans celebrated and just said, you can keep doing what you're doing, just now do it in Christ's name. Mm-hmm. Now just do it to remember Jesus. And so then they started bringing in all of these um, holidays, and one of them was Saturnalia. Um, and that's when this timetable, because and it wasn't just them, because this the winter solstice was celebrated in a, in a lot of different cultures. People would be surprised to know that when you say, what, Yuletide greetings, mm-hmm. you know, Yule was actually a, a Scandinavian, I think, Norse god, and and, when, and they would do a um, 12-day celebration of burning the Yule log, and you want to know where we get the idea of a Yule log? That's where that stuff comes from, and it goes with the winter solstice. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ's birth, uh, and then, again, Saturnalia, and I believe also... Um, the Celts also celebrated this time as well. And again, they just brought it in and then they slapped Jesus' name on it and said he was born during this time. Some have said that Mithra was born during this time, but I don't remember accurate 
information for that because people try to slap Mithron everything. To, yeah, they do. They do. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's true, um, but I don't remember the reference for that. It, actually, the History Channel actually did a pretty good job, and they should be playing it sometime this month. They usually run it, and it, it came out like 10 years ago, and there's a video that they do for an hour on the history of it, and it lays all this out. It's so funny is that I have never, have never believed that uh, Christmas was a uh, a holiday that was sacred. I've always known it to be a secular holiday. I was brought up that way. My mm-hmm. grandfather was a Baptist preacher. He always said it was a secular holiday. The whole Santa Claus and all that stuff is all secular. Right. Now, is there, are there great pieces of music sure. that were written uh, to go along? Yeah, I mean, do a mes- lot of good things. The get Messiah done. and all of that, and yep. a lot of good things have, have happened or whatever. But it is a secular. A holiday. It is not a sacred holiday, right. you, and and you cannot make the the argument that it is if right. you know anything about the history of it. At and you all. have to be very careful if you start going down the path and say, "Well, that's not what it means to me. I just want this is one I choose to celebrate." And sometimes I use the story. Uh, I don't use it as firmly as I used to, but I do make a similar comparison between the golden calf. Because when the golden calf was offered, Aaron built this, called it God, and then said, this is God's holy day. And Mm -hmm. he used Yahweh's name every time. So just because you slap Jesus' name on something doesn't make it holy, doesn't make it sanctified. Uh, And you're actually involving some pagan things that we just really should not be doing. But the biggest problem is that there's a lot of Christians that believe that Christ was born on Christmas Day. and, and, And that's just so far... Uh, farcical that it, it makes me laugh. I mean, right. I had, I won't say who it was, but I was sitting at lunch one day and I made the statement, you know, that uh, Christmas Day wasn't the day that Jesus was born. And there was a person at the table that you would have thought that I blasphemed <laughs> saying right. that. I mean, they got upset. Yeah. And I said, well, he wasn't born then. Do you really believe that? Yeah. And it was very obvious that he did. And we had a we we were having a talk about it, and the more facts that came out, the matter they got. Yeah. They didn't want to deal with it. They don't. And and here's the other irony: is um, on any, any given Sunday in America, um, some preacher is going to preach about the traditions of men and the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. Yep. And they will not even come to acknowledge and understand that they are exactly sitting in the same place that they sat. And they're following the traditions of men. And because they have great memories uh, with Christmas, with any other family tradition that may not have anything to do with the Scriptures, they had great memories with their family. And that is something that is extraordinarily difficult to unseed, and it's offensive. When you've been told by somebody that you uh, respect, mother, father, grandfather, pastor, whoever, and all of a sudden you find out that something that they thought wasn't true, that's an offense, and it's a hard thing um, to kind of change one's view on it. All right, so the secondary question, Mm -hmm. and as you listen to the question, there's a lot of erroneous thought that went into it. Nothing against the person. A lot of people think this way, and this is a relatively new listener. They even mentioned that. I have a question about Hanukkah and Christmas. Is Hanukkah just tradition, like Christmas, and is it pagan, too, like a lot of stuff online says? Are both of them wrong to do? 
I think we've covered this pretty much so. Except for the pagan aspect of Hanukkah. Now, the one thing that is tradition is one of the things that the story is historical fact. But the one of the traditions and the reason it's celebrated for eight days is because when the priests went back and got the temple back, mm-hmm. according to Jewish tradition, they found a, a flask of oil and they wanted to relight the menorah. And it only had enough uh, to light for one day. And they say miraculously it lasted for eight until they could get another um, batch purified and made holy. Right. That's that's Jewish tradition. Now, um, I wouldn't label that as pagan, but you, you also have to be careful out there because there are people that will just call everything pagan. They call the Star of David pagan. They call everything pagan. So just because, and it, maybe it's because I have a slint of anti-Semitism, but there's people that look for paganism and falseness and everything. But there's no paganness in it. It's a historical event that happened, but some of those that traditional aspect there of the eight days is not. All right. Pastor Steve Hess is here in the studio. He'll take your calls, 823-0965. If you got a question for him, you can call in right now. He'll do that. You can email me at BibleGuys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com, and I'll read it on the air if you don't want to call in and talk to him uh, where people can hear you. With that said, let's get our break in for this half hour. We'll do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, let's get back. I got a caller. Robbie is in Maumel. Hi, Robbie. How are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm great. Good afternoon. Uh, I have to defend uh, Santa Claus here for a moment. Uh, (laughs) Santa Claus, as we know him, is really St. Nicholas. Correct. That's who we uh, talk about in our home. And uh, what St. Nicholas did is that he did uh, go around giving gifts to people. Yep. And and when when we follow on that tradition... uh, Sure, man has commercialized Santa Claus, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating St. Nicholas. Uh, what he did, because what he did was uh, symbolic of, of Christianity, God's great gift of uh, Christ. So uh, are you saying it's wrong to celebrate St. Nicholas and Santa Claus or to carry on that tradition? Um, I don't I don't criticize anybody in their selection of traditions, but just like all traditions that begin outside the scriptures, they tend to overshadow and eventually overtake. Um, and how many people um, know who St. Nicholas was? I think it was sometime around the third century is when he was doing that. Um, and then that came in and picked up into the church. Um, and that, and that's a good thing to remember, people who are doing those kind of things on for God's name. But ask anybody today and then ask the majority of the population, not only do they know who St. Nicholas was, but ask the younger people if they even know why we celebrate Christmas and they won't even see a connection to Jesus any longer. So once we begin to take traditions that take outside the Scripture, we actually tend to lose the Scriptures, kind of my view. Okay, you, you seemed a bit uh, to kind of uh, give Hanukkah a pass because it's not a uh, scriptural holiday. It's, it's more traditional. Uh, but you, you tend to be a little bit harder on the uh, celebration of St. Nicholas. Uh, also, people don't realize that St. Nicholas was at the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. uh, when they were putting together the, the Bible, uh, the uh, scriptures as we know them. And uh, there was a man uh, trying to uh, propose heresy, and St. Nicholas actually 
uh, punched him. It got kind of violent there. <laughs> I so, like it. <laughs> St. Nicholas was a guy who uh, who did not like heresy. And, right. uh, so uh, I, I think he's a, he's a, uh, I think we give the world a pass when we just, when we celebrate Santa Claus, but as Christians, we should uh, uh, inform people that this is St. Nicholas and, um, and that we, and, and why we are doing it. So, well, so when you say ask the average person, it, well, we can ask the average person and they won't know because most of the evangelical churches actually don't teach that. Uh, correct. And, and um, pl- please hear, I'm going to say this very softly. Everything you just talked about was St. Nicholas, but this thing doesn't have anything to do with St. Nicholas. It has everything to do with Jesus. And so though we want to remember, like I said, good things that people have done, then the events that St. Nicholas have done have actually overshadowed the birth of Christ. So, again, I have no problem doing um, memorializing those kind of things when people do good things, but we don't want what they have done to get elevated to such a level that we're only talking about them and not actually talking as people like to say the reason for the season. So it's but good it's to the, share it's that. A Christ-like, it's a Christ-like example that St. Nicholas was doing with the giving. Yes, and, I would uh, agree. As Christ gave his life. And so we follow on in that tradition. He set the example of, uh, uh, of secretly of, uh, going about giving gifts and not expecting anything in return. And, and so I, I think that's a great thing to honor the birth of Christ at that time, even though he wasn't born at that day. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, I, I agree with that, Dave. Right. Uh, it, it's not a matter of, we agree with it. It's just a matter of history. Um, but it, it's symbolic, and there's a lot of symbolism, yep. and, and even in, 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 in the Jewish culture. So I'm just saying, you seem to give the uh, Jewish uh, traditions and cultures a path on 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 those things if they're not biblical, but you, you tend to be a, a little bit stiffer on the uh, the Saint Nicholas example. All right, I got to run. We're coming up on news. Thank you very much, Robbie, for your call. I think you had something you wanted to follow up with, but we'll do it after okay. the news. And the news is coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. More coming your way about Christmas. All right, back with you. Steve, I'll let you pick up. You there's some you wanted to clarify some Yeah, stuff. I was just going to say that uh, I would never um, – I don't condemn anybody that would still celebrate this time uh, as Christ's birth because uh, though we often say on the show when we talk about Hebraic Roots things, um, we look at those of the, of the Gentile world that are brought into a commonwealth as those who have a divine invitation to participate in the things that God gave to Israel. Um, so if, if people still do that, then I, I just – what I tell the story is um, the reason is difficult for me because I'm a nuts and bolts, matter of fact kind of guy. And if I find something that is not true and not accurate, then I just change it in my life. You can ask my wife. It's just the way I am. And so when I found out where the tradition and, the, and all of that came um, for – call it Easter um, – or Christmas or anything else, I just go, ooh, well, that's not biblical. That's, that's just a tradition of men, and, and I don't see any edification for me personally because I try and get things back to how they were in the first century. It's just how I view it. It's how I study. It's how I worship. Uh, and so those who are still there, um, I, it's okay. I, I don't I don't hopefully don't mean any condemnation. I'm just giving you the history of where we picked up the tradition and how it made its way into Christianity. Uh, as far as giving a pass to the Jewish things, actually, I don't. Because, um, I mean, as we said, Jesus actually celebrated the Feast of Hanukkah. And 
to actually make my point about the traditions, we don't make an effort or we don't make a, a big issue or a point about the oil lasting for eight days in our home because that's a tradition. Uh, but what we celebrate on the fact that God delivered his people uh, and brought the temple back and he fulfilled a prophecy that was given in Daniel 8. So it's a celebration of God's deliverance. But again, we don't make big deal of the traditions because they're traditions. So hopefully that kind of clarified some of it. All right. So it's good that we had a few more things to answer on that. It gave us time to get to the second part of the question from the person dealing Hanukkah and Christmas. Also, is what it says here, which means here's question number two. (laughs) A friend a long time ago was doing something they shouldn't have done. Our study group asked this person to leave. We have learned in the months since then that it was not something we thought it was, and it wasn't on purpose or what we thought. But we have some people that don't want this person back because they are trouble from the past, even if it wasn't their fault. When should we begin to consider forgiving and letting the person study again? Should we ever? Or is the stuff they didn't know how to control reason to not let them around? They're taking meds for this now and working on it so it's not like they don't try. I hate abandoning people because it feels so not Christian just because they are struggling with problems. It's a great question. Yeah, it is. And um, until you get to the latter part of that, (laughs) I would have actually told the people uh, that they need to ask that person for forgiveness Mm -hmm. um, because it, it made it almost sound like there were like accusations or that kind of stuff before. They got to the point where obviously it sounds like they're making a point that uh, it sounds like someone's dealing with an issue, um, medical right. issue. It is a mental issue, yeah. evidently. Right, and they're and they're either they're taking meds, seeking counseling, whatever the case is for something like that. Um, I don't know why you would keep somebody out of a study who you now know uh, is is been medically diagnosed with a situation that they're trying to work through and couldn't control perhaps what they were doing correct um and so i I don't i just i don't know of a justification um now sometimes there are people who are personally hurt uh when that person have done x y or z now if we were talking something well i'm not even going to use that example because that would not fit um but if they physically hurt somebody uh, that would be one thing, and it would be uh, pretty difficult uh, for a lot of people to kind of move on from something something like that. Uh, but if we're just talking about somebody who was tangled up in um, – um, well, it doesn't even sound like drugs. It just sounds like somebody's dealing with maybe bipolar or some issue like that, extreme anxiety, pick something. Um, then I, I don't know why you wouldn't have them come back in that's the whole reason we exist it's the whole reason we live as christians is we are supposed to show love kindness and mercy and something that people don't talk about and they use metaphorically is the idea of turning the other cheek is not a metaphor it was to the extreme point that if you if in order for you to gain fellowship with your brother let him hit you in the face and then let him hit the other side if that's what it takes for you guys to be in oneness. Now, this wasn't just 
any old thing of somebody walks up and whacks you. Correct. We're talking about the whole context of turning of the cheek is trying to win a brother back. Not somebody you're walking down the street and they just walk up and cold cock you. That's not yeah. what that's about. So how many people would walk in that level to let a brother slap them and then say, you know what, I love you too much, and even though knowing they're wrong. So I don't know. I think I think it becomes immediate. Um, uh, I don't know. I got, I got no answer except for they should be allowed back in. Well, I agree, and it seems to me the person asking the question, uh, you know, we do believe that the Holy Spirit is still active, had already worked with this person some because mm-hmm. she finishes up by saying, uh, at the very end, she says, they're taking meds for this now and working on it, so it's not like they're not trying. I hate abandoning people because it feels so not Christian just because they're struggling right. with problems. Right. Sounds like maybe uh, Holy Spirit talking to them, you think? Yeah. Well, they should be talking to the people who are keeping them out. But well, yeah, if, I, I agree, if we're but talking about talking to this person, yeah, too. if you're talking about something that is a non-medical issue, uh, then it's without question. You know, how many times when Jesus says, not just talking about turning the cheek, but when Peter asks, how many times do I forgive? Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. Every day, yeah. If he offends me 490 times, which means doesn't mean literally 490, but it means forever, then you forgive. Yeah, that's metaphorical. Yep, it's. It's always, every time he asks, yes, sir, I forgive you. Yes, sir, I forgive you. Yes, sir, I forgive you. As you would hope, they would forgive you. Correct. Correct. That's the way the scripture says, it, at least. My, my old pastor said something one day, and he talked about when people would come into the church, and he said, you do not know what they just walked out of, what their week was, what their home life was, and what their home life was like, what their childhood was like. You just don't know. So the reason that we are to show my mercy and kindness, the reason that we're not to judge, is because you don't know if you were put in the exact same situation. You wouldn't have done the same thing. That's right. Raised in the exact same home that you wouldn't have turned out just like that individual. You don't know that. And so if you were raised in a great environment and you didn't turn out like some people or you were raised in a horrific environment but overcame it, then you shouldn't judge those who didn't overcome it. So that's why we don't judge. That's why we show love and mercy and kindness, something that the church in some circles has lost. But at the same time, they've also gone so far as they don't hold any accountability. So we just focus on love, 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 and we. But there, there does come a point with accountability. Well, you don't want greasy forgiveness, correct? And Be- there's a lot of churches that offer that now. There is, and we do, we do need to hold people to a level of accountability. Um, but you, without being inside the midst of that, um, if a person's coming back and seeking forgiveness, then you got, you got to you got to offer it to them. All right, let's get the final break in, then we'll come back and finish up this edition of the Bible Guys, really the Bible Guy. Uh, Steve is here by him lonesome. Billy Miller's out, and so is Scott. But he handles himself pretty doggone good. We'll talk with him more here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Double digits behind. All right, we're back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Last question. And uh, let me get it here. Can you explain how we came to receive the Bible? I mean, who decided what should be included and why? 
with that, I'll turn it over to Steve to give you a history lesson. <laughs> right. It would take, it's, um, all right. So if we, let's start back in Genesis. Um, the, the book of Genesis up to about Abraham's time um, is oral tradition. Um, and then that was, that was passed down um, from Abraham into Isaac and to Jacob and then ultimately to the 12 sons, to Joseph. Uh, and then Moses um, would have inherited that from those scribes and those elders of that time. So that's where we would get the beginning part of Genesis right there. Um, and some, some would question some of that. But I, I, since I'm a guy who believes in the young earth theory – um, well, not your theory. I, I believe in the young earth, your young earth because the ages and names that are given to us in the scriptures. If if this is true, then what that means is um, Abraham would have heard the story from Seth, who would have heard it from Noah, who would have heard it from Methuselah, who would have heard it from Adam. So we only have five names and five generations to basically cover the first 2,000 years. Uh, and that oral tradition and or written down on uh, cuneiform tablets or some other material could have very easily been passed down because uh, they didn't get to all the details. It's often why people ask, well, why are only the one names? Why aren't already these other names mentioned? Like, where's Cain get his wife and that kind of stuff? Because they just passed down the relevant information. And then start moving forward. Um, Moses would have had all of the scribes who would have wrote down the Ten Commandments, who would have wrote down their journeys. Uh, and then that, because it was even commanded to do so. And then put it alongside the ark, it says at one point in the scriptures. And then Joshua after he crosses over, writes down um, what's going on. And then it gets into the judges and so on and so forth. So we just start moving through history, and these people who were known as scribes, their job was to record all of this. The prophets had scribes who would write down when they would prophesy. Uh, and then they began to collect all of these things because these things were uh, words of God. Things that came through the prophets came from God. Um, and so they would, and then the history uh, that was mixed in the midst of all of that. Um, the one thing I'm uncertain about is the, you know, since the majority of the Psalms came from David and Solomon and then some of the sons of Korah and others, is um, the reason or the measuring tool that they use for those. Um, that's the one I'm not sure about. But as we progress through the rest of the history, we see it because they're nothing but history and prophecies of Israel. And then that collection came together uh, in what's known as the Tanakh in Hebrew, and then they translated that into the Septuagint in Greece, Greek about uh, the second century B.C. Uh, and that, what we have in the Septuagint, there's pretty much what we have in, quote-unquote, the Old Testament today. Then moving forward, um, after um, Jesus comes and then the, the church is moving out and, and all of the uh, apostles are moving through the lands, you start getting people like, obviously, Mark and Matthew and Luke and John who are recording the events that happened. And then um, Luke then furthering record Acts. And once they had all of these letters, um, there, there became a period of time post the first century where they were passing these letters around the churches. Uh, and then there was a guy who rose up around 150 named Marcion who started to create his own collection and called it um, – uh, he didn't really title it, but he said that these were the writings that he used to establish his church. And what he did is he only took half the book of Luke uh, and only portion of the book of um, the Paul's letters uh, because he wanted to dissect them because he was very anti-Semitic. And then there became more and more of a rise where these guys were – the early church fathers were collecting all of these letters uh, and started to look 
have more of a view of them in a, in a scriptorial sense, scripture sense. Uh, and then ultimately it came together, uh, I don't remember the right date, sometime in the early or late, I think it was 365 actually. I think it was post-Constantine when they finally did the final canon okay. of what we have in the 27 books of the New Testament today. And what they did for the New Testament um, was the the measuring rod for that was something along the lines they had to personally walk with Jesus in the first century to be considered uh, scripture, and obviously Paul's encounter allowed him to be brought uh, into that group. And the reason they the other reason they did that too wasn't just because of people like wasn't because of Marcion, but because there were people like Marcion. Because there was a whole group of people in the second and third centuries known as Gnostics, and they were coming into the church, and Gnostics believe in, in divine revelation, and they were coming along and saying things like, well, I got a revelation by God, and I've got the Gospel of Timothy or the Gospel of Peter, and they would start writing all of these other writings and then attribute them to people who were walking with Jesus. But they were the letters themselves did not go back. So that's, isn't that something that needs to be watched even today? Absolutely, because you hear preachers say, "God told me." Correct. Yes, it, it's in. Uh, if it's different than what the scripture says, absolutely, it ain't a revelation, folks. It's it a revelation not. from somebody, but not from Jesus. Correct. I do believe that the Spirit of God um, still talks to us today and leads us in things. But if anybody says that God said, uh, and it goes contrary to the scriptures, then you need to get away from that dude. That's what Paul said. Yeah, he said, yeah. even even if it even if I myself right. came back and told you something that was contrary to scripture, yep. reject it. Yep. Yep, and so that's that's the really thumbnail sketch of how we moved from where we got the tradition or the history of the Bible, and then that's really limited on how they check. And real quickly, this Testament. continues to go on because there's people like uh, was it uh, Enoch and all this other Correct. stuff that's out there. They want this in, included. They do. they do because there is a reference of a book of Enoch um, because Job or Jude mentions it. Um, the one that I get to, I deal with a lot. It really just seems to pop up heavily in the uh, messianic circles. So I didn't really hear much about it uh, outside of that. Um, there's also people who are poking a, a book called the Book of Yasher because it's mentioned. It's mentioned in um, Joshua, but the the Book of Yasher that's out there now. There's actually five different versions of it, and I don't think it goes past the 16th century A.D. There's no old older records. Well, they're than that. sure not talking about that in Joshua. Correct. <laughs> um, uh, Enoch goes back to around the second or third century BC, but anyway, there's a reason that they they kept a lot of these books out because they didn't view them as theological books. Uh, there are some of the apocryphal books that that you'll see in some Catholic Bibles, um, things like the story of uh, Hanukkah that comes from first and second Maccabees. Well, it's a historical book. The Jews never considered it being part of the canon. Uh, what people call the silent years was not actually silent. Actually, you're beginning to see all of the things that were prophesied to come to fulfillment. So there was nothing else that needed to be prophesied, you know. Um, but, you know, those are just historical books, and that's why a lot of those things were left out. Those are people who wrote about things, Correct. Right? Correct. It would be like somebody, you know, the Founding Fathers wrote the Constitution, but there's other people who have written compendiums for the Constitution, so you understand it better. Correct. And that's what a lot of that stuff uh, should be viewed as. 
just because somebody quotes something, I mean, we've even talked about here how Paul on two different occasions quoted um, pagan philosophers. And that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if he's quoting something to make a point, doesn't mean he there says. Doesn't mean you believed it. Correct. Or or it doesn't make it scripture. And that's one of the things I caution people who get tied up in Enoch just because it appears that Jude might be quoting it. Well, he might be doing it to make a point, but he's not saying, well, hey, in the holy book of Enoch. Yeah. So that's why we have to be careful about those kind of things when we start reading. It's funny. It's actually had a pretty spirited debate with a friend of mine uh, about some of this additional revelation that we need to be cautious about. Because there are a lot of people reading these Gnostic Gospels, and they think they're as legit as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I came and held up for the last four minutes of this show to let Steve talk about something that's going to be happening over at Agape Church that I think is very, very cool. I'll let you talk about it. Okay. Um, you know, when we first started doing the show, I was pastor in a Messianic congregation over mm-hmm. in uh, Sherwood, and, and I resigned from that and turned it over um, to the assistant, my buddy, Joe, uh, to go out to help Scott work on this institute and to build this co- college out there. Uh, and one of the other things that's been on my heart to do now that we're, we're two years into having the, the first two years re-recorded and all that kind of stuff is to start reaching out to the rest of the Messianic community um, and start bringing them together. And we're actually in the process is creating something I call the Arkansas Messianic Alliance, where we're reaching out to those in the in the Hebrew Roots movement to try and get them to come together, because we've kind of been so sporadic. Most of them are small home groups. Very few have actually become like organized, like regular church denominations. So. Um, um, we put the first meeting back in September, and we're going to do another one here during Hanukkah. So on Saturday night, um, I think it's September the 28th, uh, from 5 to 8, we're going to be doing an event out there at the uh, um, the small building out of Agape to bring together some of the Messianic community. And we're going to talk about Hanukkah and, and do some celebrations. So if there's something that people are interested in, uh, then they can uh, find us on Facebook, go to the Arkansas Messianic Alliance, and get the information for it. But it's that night from about 5 to 8. We'll talk about Hanukkah. We're going to have food, celebration, worship, and whatnot. So I would encourage you to come out if you want to learn more about it. Okay. That's for people who are Messianic groups or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're primarily reaching out to those in the Messianic community. But if someone has, you know what, that's kind of interesting. I might want to learn a little bit more about that. So maybe we'll come out and, and check that out. Yeah, why are these people talking about Hebrew roots? My wife said... It's important that you hear it. It's December the 28th. It may have sounded like I said September, but we don't work no, that way. No, December. Yeah, yeah, we're not working we backwards. Yeah, we don't plan that far ahead around here. <laughs> I barely know yeah. what I'm doing tomorrow. All right, tell everybody about uh, the Institute so people can go to it and learn about a lot of the things that you talk about. Okay, well, that... That school is where Scott and I both got our degrees uh, and got it started in Hebraic Roots, and it's the American Institute for Advanced uh, Biblical Studies. American Institute dot? O-R-G. O-R-G, okay. Yeah. And we often tell people it's um, it's not a theological school. One of the things that we work very hard to do is to not give you um, our theological bent on something. We usually just try and give you the history behind something and then tell you what they believed when they were writing or what other different, like right now I'm currently wrapping up History of the Church 3, and and I'll tell you what the different denominations believe, where that came from, or where some of these traditions came from, like we talked about with Christmas and so on and so forth. But we focus on things from that Hebraic perspective because, as we said over and over again, if you don't understand (laughs) the context, the history, the language – and we're also spirit people, so we're all of the above. Uh, it's really the only way you can get the Bible properly interpreted. Otherwise, you're going to get like you have today with 
40,000 denominations are just reading it from their own lens, not the context in which it was all given. All right. TheAmericanInstitute.org. That's it. Steve won't be here next week. Scott will be back. Billy will be back. We'll talk Hanukkah. I bet you we have a menorah here in the studio as well. Hopefully we'll have the rabbi that puts up the menorah there at Chanel and uh, Bowman on as well for him to talk a little bit about that. With that in mind, I'll say goodnight to you. See you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Steve, thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. More coming your way. With uh, who's coming up? Larry Elder coming up next on the Dave Ellswick on, pardon me, 1011 FM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.